right, we are here for a work session. Um, let's start with Jay. What do you have for us? Great, I just have a, a few things for you this morning. Um, the, on the compensation plan, talk with you uh, individually on this, but we are considering to bring a recommendation to you to set a countywide minimum wage. Right now, we're looking at how that may compress um, some of the different um, pay scales um, and if there's some unintended consequences with that. And we're also looking at adjusting some of those pay scales for lower paid employees. Uh, definitely an issue at the airport for recruitment. So um, hopefully we'll have some of you relatively soon on that front. On the uh, COVID side, the uh, dashboard and data reporting that we have for COVID is going to really change over the next month. The, um, the current platform we're using for the, um, for the data reporting will uh, be migrating over the next month to our website as opposed to the, um, the one that we're using right now. Um, things continue to head the right direction. We saw the governor's um, Announcements. Big announcement. Yeah, we're earth-shattering earth -shattering announcement on Friday. Um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on the HHS building, uh, we're moving ahead. Um, we have our update actually next week from when we're on that, and then we're also looking at um, figuring out how to bring a little more horsepower to the uh, RFI and the review process, and that should be included in numbers. Um, uh, update next week and we may when we contracted with them we had it ending December 31st of this year obviously we're going to probably lead them through February or March uh, towards closeout and I think after that when we're dealing with kind of the extended closeout and landscaping type stuff capacities to meet more of that in those um, stages of that but we'll we'll have that discussion um, when we see that uh, See that contract ending maybe as soon as next week. Um, Commissioner Gordon, did you have anything else that? Uh, no, I mean, I think the, the structural engineering and, and, uh, and a lot of the RFIs uh, that have come out have complicated the process. And I think it will be appropriate to request more help to get through this really critical phase of getting off. And this happens on every construction job. There's always a million questions. And uh, I think anything that Weber can do to speed the pace of that process, pay dividends at the end of the project. Um, can I ask a question? Sure. Um, the change in the contract, is that just the change in scope? It would be uh, duration too. Okay. Um, so once we see that draft, we'll get a copy to you. We should probably do an amendment. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. We're looking at a contract amendment, which end date and then some of the services provided can be expanded to provide some in house review of RFIs before they go to the architect. Thank you. Yeah. I will say that one, from my perspective, continues to really be very professional and, and apply. A lot of resources and spend the time really working through stuff. And, I, mean, I feel like they're doing a really good job. Great. Um, next topic is pay periods. So at this point, we're shooting for October as the switchover um, to bi weekly pay. 
within my lifetime. Um, there's <laughs> some steps that we really need to work on. Be careful. There's some steps we need to take to, to get there, including kind of streamlining our time reporting. And um, right now, there's what I call a lot of hand holding from accounting um, on payroll. And so we're really trying to work with the departments over the next few months to really condense that period to make it easier to make this switch. And so starting some really good progress actually i, I think uh, county hr and it have really rolled up their sleeves and are coming up with solutions to move forward so that's been nice to see and you talked about that with all the departments we did though we had some out for break so we're going to yeah. continue that discussion were there concerns that they raised um you know the the concerns is primarily the gap period yeah. and then explaining it to employees and we don't really have that gap period tied in yet right um it's and it's a little bit of a catch-22 because we've got to get our time reporting dialed in to establish the gap period. Right. Um, the better we do on time reporting, the shorter the gap period. And then we'll kind of, right now, the, we're looking at the October 28th being the first time we pay. I mean, that's just exciting today, frankly, that Tim's legacy time. <laughs> <laughs> You've been able to rally the departments together to get serious about finding a solution. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's really, I, I've got to say, accounting and HR and IT have really kind of rolled up their sleeves. And I haven't been involved in those discussions by design. I don't think they wanted me involved in those discussions, <laughs> um, which is perfectly fine. And it, it's definitely, um, definitely moving forward. And there'll be some bumps to get there. But once we switch the admin side, and hopefully the not OT we spend just on payroll can be uh, condensed some, but it'll, um, it'll be a bit to get there. And that's switching to everyone being paid at that time, correct? Okay, just confirming. <laughs> yeah, we have the rest of the world, county countywide. So next uh, topic is Brown Ranch. Um, just keep that out there that we're gonna continue discussions on infrastructure planning at the city and housing authority on be meeting sometime in March to um, kind of continue um, um, timing needs, what grants we're going after, that type of type of thing. Um, but it's a lot of money to build a new city. To build a new city. <laughs> Yeah, it's not really a new town, it's a new city if you look at housing uh, um, types. And then, you know, some ongoing discussions on what that commercial base will be as part of it and how that all looks. So there's um, a lot of good progress being made, but you know, I think it's one of those things every time you peel back another layer, it's, it's bigger as expected. And then um, this Thursday, I'll be down at CAST, and Friday, I'll be out of the office on a family health issue. Um, the last topic I wanted to bring up was something Commissioner Ribbon and I have been talking about, the Northwest Development um, Council. There was an IGA put together for that, which appears wasn't executed by various members of the, including us, of the Development Council. So um, we're hoping to get that in front of you in the near future. In, it's kind of a, of a strange deal. You know, the Northwest Colorado Development Council is the resurrection of the Yampa Valley Economic Development Council. Um, and 
the word I hate to use, but I assumed <laughs> that since the process had already been established, that it was a recognized organization and it had been approved by us. Well, the only thing out of this situation that made me feel any better is out of all the partners, the only one that took it back to their council and passed it was the town aid. So apparently we were all under that impression. Um, then Eric reviewed it and had some concerns, um, concerns about meeting postings, um, recordings, you know, Colorado Open Records. Um, so we needed to look into that to make sure that that has taken place and that there will be a mechanism to take, take place for that to take place in the future. Um, Eric also uh, expressed some concerns that we don't really have a point person at Brown County. Um, and I agree with him that we need one, but also at the same time, now I'm asking you guys to give up staff time and spend money. Um, so that's part of, part of the situation. Um, you know, we also have a situation that the original paperwork has names of people that no longer are with Route County. Uh, Kay and Mark Collins are the listed officers on there. So they'll, they'll, you know, there's some things that have to be cleaned up in housekeeping to move forward. Um, but we wanted to make you aware of the situation and make sure that as we move forward, that we have your understanding of this. Eric, do you want to add anything on that? Uh, not really. I, the, on the point person, um, our rationale there is, is so that we can protect the county's interests and the requirements of the OML um, where, where we're concerned. I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus, but it's pretty obvious to me that things were run pretty loosely up until this point. It's also pretty clear to me that this is, a, this is a group that's intended to be subject to obedience law uh, where transparency is concerned with receiving and spending money, public funds in particular, that um, concerns me, sunshine resolution, all those sorts of things that somebody here on, on our end can manage, I think, pretty swiftly and easily. Yeah, and I think it's always good to have someone, a staff person. I mean, I don't have any concerns about staff time. It's just figuring out who the right person, person is. Um, right. I imagine it's not a huge amount, but um, certainly don't want to put these things in the hands of commissioners. No offense to any of them. No, none taken. And, and quite honestly, we don't have to talk. Yeah. Um, we had theoretically thought of Jen. Um, Jay was going to speak with her, and, and we'll see where that goes from there. But um, conceptually, that's uh, anything else, Jay? You take? No. Um, I mean, it's all the right intentions. It just seems to be bad. It's a little bit of the blind leading the blind. And that's got to happen. Particularly, you're giving out some pretty good grants on there. Yes. You have a meeting this week with her. Uh, maybe next week. Maybe next week. But yes, in March. Okay. Um, anything else, Jay? Nope, that's it. Thank you. Okay, uh, Eric. Thank you. Um, just kind of expressing um, some appreciation, I guess, uh, for certain county staff 
that have to deal with some very, very difficult cases. Uh, talked about the DHS caseworkers. Um, of the nine weekends we've had, thank you for looking at it. Since the beginning of the year, attorneys have been involved in um, four weekends, four out of the nine. But it, but what that tells me is the caseworkers are probably involved on weekends and 100% of ongoing cases. While we don't have um, the highest case amounts that we've had historically, or even over the last five years, they are very, um, they need a lot of work. Uh, large families, a lot of children involved in different placements. Um, we've run out of foster care situations um, locally with North Pacifico, Colony County, which is alarming for foster parents, but it's just our, our caseload. And so I just want to give them an attaboy to, or more appropriate, not a girl, I guess, to our caseworkers. We only have female caseworkers, and what a job they do here. Shout out there, I guess. Insurance. Um, I've talked to you about insurance requirements probably three times over the last two years since we started the policy review project. And we've had two iterations uh, readopted uh, by the commissioners. But um, there's there's unhappiness and um, sort of unfamiliarity with, with why the county requires insurance in certain situations. You were confronted with a request for the landfill to keep the insurance requirement at $1 million rather than $1.1 million. Um, but I've met with uh, both CTSI and a representative from Arthur J. Gallagher last week. And the reason I, I included Gallagher was because they have what's called TULIP insurance. Uh, it's a tenant use liability insurance program, um, which really translates to special events types of insurance. And everything from birthday parties to I always use the car derby at our fairs, and that's because that's probably about high uh, risk spectrum for insurance requirements. But um, so I learned a lot from that, and I'd like to meet with Jay and uh, some of the select staff that have been dealing with this, uh, hopefully this week or next. And for you guys, why I'm telling you all of this stuff is there may be some options um, that you might want to be involved in the decision making. For example, uh, Gallagher offers a program where uh, an entity like the county can put a deposit in um, and be the administrator of its own insurance. So it would be the county's insurance policy that is being purchased for every special event throughout the year. The reason they do it that way is every event is somewhat different. Like I said, the high risk versus a low risk mini club or club, something like that. It just charged far less. Um, the types of coverage is far different. Um, so that would be an option. Um, they did not recommend that for the county visitors, the administration of it, right? Um, but then they offer a program where the county registers as, an, as a, a facility owner and the event sponsor can go to their website and the county would be on, on a drop-down list. And then it's the then they work with Gallagher to get the correct coverage for themselves. So the county is not administering it. It's a matter of just the county registering with Gallagher. That program looked really, really good to me. Um, and it was curious enough to go and, and check the application process. And what was interesting was 
there are like several universities um, and hospitals, I think, that are registered with Gallagher now, but not as many as you would think. Um, that seemed like a good option. And then, of course, the third obvious option is that the sponsors just have to go get their own um, event insurance. And I asked what the costs would be. Uh, they said uh, there's a $100 minimum. So even a birthday party of three kids um, at the fair would be a $100 policy. But that minimum applies pretty, pretty high in terms of risk is concerned. The example that I posed was all right, birthday party of 35 kids, um, still 100 of the hot bucks. And so it gives you kind of some, some value there. And um, I'm not asking you for a decision today, but uh, it might be something that we have to bring back in front of you if the staff request is the county be the administrator of a program like that. Um, I mentioned in the context of the landfill, higher levels of insurance, which I, I believe is appropriate for certain uses. We have industrial uses out there and there are different types of insurance. So we have a general liability requirement, but in my view, uh, certain uses such as oil and gas, maybe the landfill uh, should be required to uh, carry pollution insurance is something very specific to industrial use. In fact, the county uh, carries pollution insurance for one of its gravel pits uh, out west and the reason for that is because the property owner required it in order for, yeah. for the lease to be approved. Um, of course, that was um, at their pit. So enough about insurance for one day. Can I have a quick follow-up? Yeah. Um, so that insurance, say I'm having that birthday party um, and I pay for that insurance, which protects the county. Do I receive any protection, say one of the kids falls and hurts himself at, at the party? Do I, am I, do I have a liability to protect me at that point in time? It really isn't designed to protect the county. It is designed to protect the sponsor, but um, the county benefits from that, uh, depending on the type of insurance that's required. For example, um, Gallagher, one of the reasons why I like them is because in every event pol uh, policy, they require property damage protection. That obviously, so if the sponsor um, puts holes in the walls or damages the lawn, then the, the property damage is, uh, is covered. So it's really the sponsor is the primary okay. protected beneficiary. Yeah. And, and, you know, Joe's and Noel are working on looking at our overall fairgrounds rental policies. There is a a form that we use, which includes releases and stuff, but it's pretty basic. So um, you know, there's there's some work to be done to kind of make sure that we take it to the next step in terms of our overall operations policy. And then, plus, when we bring the new building online, our goal is to have that community room used as much as possible. That's part of design on it, and so we need to make sure we have the right use policies in place. I mean, right now. Um, we require insurance for activities outside, but not necessarily inside the building for third parties. So there's there's some consistency in work that we need to have done on that and really need to get figured out before we open up a brand new room with a focus of community use. On that note, um, our current policy does not require insurance for very low risk events like meetings here in, in this room and others. And I brought that up in the meeting, and there was a 
pause and I could tell um, they didn't agree with that. So I asked, they're like, hey, we should have insurance requirement for every single event, period. Um, if somebody slips and falls, it doesn't matter if they're there for a birthday party or for a meeting. Don't we have some protection from being a public entity? We have governmental immunity. Okay. But that's capped at $1.1 million. Gotcha. Um, so just to understand, I mean, the obvious question to me is about the uses of the fairgrounds that are more sort of recreational in nature compared to other, like I know there's like a toddler gymnastics that uses the multi-purpose building, for example. I, what? So what do we require now? Nothing? No, we have, we, we do require, okay. um, there's a laundry list of types of insurance um, and they they are being required now on the ground i don't know if it's actually happening okay um, i can't speak to that but the policy is pretty clear that it's supposed to be required at that enhanced level to dollars. okay and then um if it's a county sponsored event like i'm thinking about the kind of stuff that extension does as an example i assume Either they have insurance, CSU has insurance, or our insurance covers it. I don't think I. Um, I don't believe they do require insurance for the majority of the programs that they sponsor even here within our own facilities. Right. Do they? Of course, my view is yes. So let me see. That on. one's a little bit tricky because they're not actually actually county. I, I guess I'm wondering more about yeah yeah let me expand on that a little bit okay. uh, it may depend on what what it is they're doing what they're sponsoring but also who's involved you know are they considered volunteers and if so then, then they have insurance even workers come through cap right. um but most likely not uh, those events are you know um, meetings generally speaking um you attend the master gardener right yes is there, are there levels to master, to supreme master? I don't know. I mean, I'm currently an apprentice. Okay. But I don't know what happens. You get flogged at meetings. No, that's <laughs> never happened. Um, lots to talk about with insurance. Um, it's just not a fascinating world to me. Is that fascinating? Yeah. <laughs> to Eric. He said oh, to okay. me. Oh. Oh. There are people that love this stuff. Um, so I'm trying to engage those folks. To be involved. Um, so, in, frankly, you know, as an attorney, I'm, you know, always trying to be conservative and, and take the, take the approach that that's most protective of my client, the county, right? Um, here, what's obvious is you got to do sort of a, a risk benefit analysis, and you, if you require everything under the sun, all the protections, you're going to basically Void out any possible uses of the facilities, which some might argue is a good thing. Others would argue from a risk way. standpoint, it's probably a good thing. Right. Good and, but I understand relations. Right. <laughs> well, and you know, Eric and I've had this discussion. You know, at what point, you know, county operations versus public use. You know, what's the purpose of some of those facilities when we're kind of more the, the fairgrounds in particular is the one spot for the rec business. Right. Um, and then. To me, is success is having it used as much as possible every day. Um, 
to justify the expenditures, the upkeep and stuff. And so finding that fine line is something we'll be working on. Yeah, I recognize the balance. Yeah, the, the exhibit hall, for example, you know, there's some community use out there, which, um, you know, we allow, we have for years allowed um, free use of it for small memorial services. It's kind of an important thing that in the county to be able to have memorial services for folks who may not have the resources to rent larger facilities. And so those are the type of things where, you know, finding the, the balance is there. We'll be working on that. Um, two policies to talk about records retention schedules. Um, recall that the treasurer had recently asked to update her retention schedule. We have one now that dates back to 2001. Um, that's countywide to, to some degree. There were uh, some departments not involved in that in, in the development of those retention schedules back then, 20 years ago. And needless to say, likely needs some updating. Um, I think it has withstood the test of time pretty good, which is why I haven't been in a rush to, to, to do it. Um, but I need, I'm going to need to enlist our departments to involve themselves in all of this because it's really their retention schedule department by department that's involved here. So our plan is to um, update the current policy only where the treasurer's office is concerned, she, since she's interested, and also the county attorney's office, um, because we're also interested and we want to sort of model the need to get this done across counties, across county departments, I should say. Um, so Dan, I'll be asking you for your help because I don't have any authority over any other department um, to get them to do stuff. But I think it is important and part of what's driving me right now is there was a listserv um, commentary about retention schedules. I tried to actually get someone from the state archives to, to come to our conference um, this summer, which is going to be impressed with you, <laughs> to talk about retention schedules. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it is actually on our schedule, but um, they they declined because um, because it's not virtual. It's a, it's an in person meeting that's go around. Um, and one of the things we're also looking at, the man who's working on this, is our social media retention, um, making sure that we're archiving everything appropriately on posts, since we're using more and more social media there's an obligation to keep track of what's posted. So we're exploring vendors and um, looking at that stuff. Yeah, poor Amanda got dragged in that. Because um, having a social media policy has been on my wish list for about 10 years now, and we don't have, we still don't have one. You created one that had to do with comments and... Yeah, that wasn't, I wouldn't have called that a, a policy. It was what was posted on our, um, I think, Facebook account in terms of re removal of comments and those kinds of things. Those were re reviewed, but this will be countywide. And we need a, um, a point person, and I'm pointing at Amanda, to um, sort of keep keep the reins on, on that. So what I've learned about social media is that typically it's a personal account that is used to then set up a secondary account that has like route county government somewhere department uh, named on it and, and if that person leaves 
you can't go in and amend or change or even get rid of that other Facebook, that secondary account. Kind of a crazy process, but um, do you have anything to add? I, most of the accounts that we have received seem to be fairly separate. I have noticed one or two that uh, it is very obvious that it was a personal account to begin with, and then tried to transition it into more of a uh, professional account. And so we'll have to decide how to move forward with those accounts. Um, but the others, the plan is to utilize kind of a generic account uh, like PIO at Route County or something like that that connects all of these additional social media accounts so that that PIO account is the, the holder of all the, the connections. So if someone does leave, you still have access to these accounts that have followers and have, have all of the, the activity. So that's the goal. We're getting there. I, I don't participate in any of that stuff, so it's all sort of Greek to me. But... I've, been I've been listening to a podcast called Rabbit Bowl, which explores like how the algorithms <laughs> destroy people. Right. And um, you won't want to use social media after you listen to that. God, it's that. disturbing. All right. Um, and I have. The, the other policy I want to talk about was DEI again. I can't remember if I spoke to you as a group or just maybe one of you individually. I had hoped to have this thing um, in front of you by the end of this month. It's not, obviously it's not happening. I just not, um, not comfortable with our product yet, not even to share it and have a work session. I, we need to polish it a little bit more on. What, what, which policy is this? Uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay. Um, so that's still in, in my office, but hopefully next month we'll have something to bring forward. I was thinking we could, we should do a work session first um, because it's kind of a big deal. Uh, I think it's important and countywide will impact positively the, the entire county. Things to kick around like trading requirements and that kind of stuff. That's all I have on my list for today. Did you want to talk about that um, email? String about the um, mandatory reporting. Yes, I mean it came up uh, at CCI. Can't remember the context it came up in, but the question was raised: Are we in our duties as members of the board of health to qualify as mandatory reporters for uh, child abuse similar situations? It, it seems a little bit vague. Eric made a really good point. Why do you need to worry about a whether or not you're a mandatory reporter here of something you know, something reporting? Mm -hmm. But um, I was uh, obviously can't disagree with that sentiment. On the other hand, I responded back to Eric. I knew when I was on school board, I very specifically was a mandatory reporter, and it did raise my awareness. Certainly, that was a different context when you're around kids and families and teachers. And it seems unlikely that we would be thrust into that kind of a situation. So I don't know that we really need to beat it up. I guess well, I'm a little confused about why people thought it was vague. It seems pretty clear. And I think if you, I mean, I'm a mandatory reporter because still because I have a teaching license. 
Um, but if you're a mandatory reporter, especially for your employer, there's generally training alongside. I mean, it seems like if, if the Board of Health was considered a mandatory reporter, we would know about it, right? I mean, you have to think. Well, I don't think anybody spent a lot of time thinking about it. It's kind of one of those oddities. Eric asserts that technically we're not. What did you, what was your argument? Yeah, so I don't remember the exact language. Um, there was a line uh, in the laundry list of mandatory reporters that talks about uh, the county departments of health. It's and, and officers, it's officers and official or officials, officials, not officers, officials. Um, but I, but I assert that the board of health is separate from the department of public health, the way we have it set up here and how it was designed by resolution at the outset. You're sort of an overviewing authority of the department of health. You're not an employee or official of the department of public health. It could, you could argue it the other way too, but um, yeah. So here would be the question. Let's just say somebody called me up and said, hey, you know, uh, dad is, uh, I saw dad whipping Johnny uh, and I'm upset about it. You know, I guess it's always a qualitative decision as to whether or not that really rises to that level that an individual would need to make. But if I, who do I report to? Human services? There's a statewide hotline now. Okay. So something like that would be reported via that hotline. I actually think second hand knowledge is not, I mean, yeah. to Eric's you need to actually yeah. witness. Um, I mean, to Eric's point, there's sort of a more the moral obligation, but second hand reports like that are, I don't think are qualified, qualified anyway, technically speaking. What's at stake is a class one misdemeanor if you're a mandatory reporter and you don't report and you're charged with crime. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time worrying about it. Yeah. I'm done with that. I have a quick question. I continue to get via email these FAA grant um, agreement signatures. I've been in the habit of forwarding them to you and uh, to Kevin and maybe sometimes to you. Is that what I should keep on doing? This well, is your, I think your favorite subject. Eric requested, or not Eric, Kevin requested the FAA change the yeah, name on it. So I don't know. Well, I've got one in my inbox. Who should I send it to? Is it FAA? Yeah. Send it back to Kevin, please. And then I don't need to bother you. Are well, you? it should have my name on it. That's the thing. Yeah, you can co copy me um, on your email to Kevin saying I, I'm not a signatory any longer. Okay, Kevin is on the line. Yeah, we. Yeah, I, I am. I, I just got promoted to panelist, so I can speak. But uh, yes, I did forward the change in chair to um, our FAA ADO rep, and so I think he's made the change. So I'm. I expect that those emails will now come directly to Commissioner Melton and not to Commissioner Corrigan. But Tim said he got one today, so that's the problem, right? I missed that. Okay. I got that right. I'm just going to forward it to you, Kevin, and to Eric. Okay. I'll reach, out to, I'll reach out to the ADO today and see what the issue is. Think of these tremendous efficiencies of not signing pieces <laughs> of paper scanning them and sending them to people. Oh, well, right, right. Because when you get the email, here's what bothers me. Um, stay on. You can't tell from the title or even what's 
printed in the body of the email what it is you're supposed to be reviewing. So then you have the option of opening it one time and one time only. If you open it once and close it, you can't open it again after that. <laughs> it's, well, and, it's so important. And how much time are we, or the chairperson, going to spend reviewing all the details of an FAA contract to assure that it should be signed? Hours, so we hours, you and Kevin? hours on your weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have to open it to make sure it's even one that I've that I've seen before, right? And had a chance to review. So Kevin knows that it's not a system I like, but I'm actually trying to use it in a different context, DocuSense. So I'll learn it at some point. Anything else? No. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Amanda, do you want to talk about your item? So I was hoping to chat today about our radio roundtable and op-ed schedule and putting together almost uh, a subject idea bank so that when it comes time for uh, writing these op-eds, if you don't have something that immediately comes to mind that you'd like to write about, we would have an idea bank that's set and that may spur some creativity. Um, and then if we wanted to, we can go ahead and put together a schedule. Um, and then once this Excel sheet that I'm working on is set, I can share it um, for you all so you can access that and see what you had previously said you wanted to write about. And if you change your mind, you've got the idea bank and you can kind of go from there. So what I have in the uh, the different topics thus far, thus far, and I believe most of them have been used, but I think that's okay as well because we may want to go back and some of the roundtables and follow up on previous conversations with more in-depth questions. Um, but I have COVID-19, childcare, healthcare, property assessments, TABOR, fire mitigation, water, affordable housing, ARPA, uh, core trail, master plan updates, transportation. And so I'm happy to take any suggestions that you may have for conversations. I have a question. Yes. Do you, uh, are you able to uh, go to the pilot and find out if anybody's actually reading our columns online? I will find out. I, because, I mean, there might be, I mean, there's no point writing about stuff that nobody wants to read, right? Well, so that was another suggestion that I was going to make, um, reaching out to the public for topics that they are interested in and start collecting those as well. And it may be specific questions for specific commissioners, or it may be just a general topic that they're interested in. And I'm happy to coordinate that as well. Um, I think that would be a great way to get the public involved in, in these conversations. Great. That sounds lovely. Um, I think the climate action plan and sustainability, just generally, said that. So along those lines, just a little bit of a bird walk, but not very much of one. 
So there's a, uh, the Amber Valley Sustainability Committee starting uh, this month in well, March into April are going to be launching an, another iteration of a solar cooperative. Uh, that, uh, you know, the idea behind that is you try to line up 50 to 100 individuals that want to have a solar installation on their property. And that might be a timely uh, article. I guess the question is, is it appropriate for us, for Amanda and her role as our PIO to be promoting that kind of a thing? It is a nonprofit. I think it sits within the goals of the cat that we, yeah. that we approved and it's... So that would be a timely article would be on, uh, specifically maybe on supporting the, that solar cooperative, engaging people's interest in that generally how that ties into our, our climate action plan. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason I asked the question is anybody reading this? We used to talk about, well, it'd be really great at the start of the winter to have one of the commissioners write an article about our snow plowing plan. And I go, well, yeah, maybe sort of, but does anybody actually read that stuff? Well, I will definitely take a look. I'll have to follow up with you on that. Um... And then the question, the next question I would have for us as a group, do we want to write about things that are just super county government specific or do we think that there's we should be weighing in a 30,000 foot level on bigger community issues and maybe that's up to each of us individually well you know i think i am next up on the list and uh i've already chosen my subject and you know i'm putting a lot of energy into economic development and uh repurposing of the power plants and and, and the just transition um and i was in the grocery store yesterday and had one of my residents who i know well ask me hey so what's happening out with that ojt coming out of credit um which tells me i'm not doing a good job of getting the information out to the people um so um that is something that is near and dear to me and is what I plan to do my next piece on is to bring everybody up to speed, um, let them know what has happened, where we plan to go and and to move on from there. Uh, you know, people aren't aware of what's happening and, and that became very apparent to me this week. I have added that in. Are you interested in um, swapping topics to include solar cooperative information in um, the radio roundtable that we will be recording tomorrow? Sure. I honestly haven't even looked at your questions. <laughs> do anything you want to. <laughs> I will take a look at that and send an updated list. Be careful with that. <laughs> I'll look at them for only 30 minutes before the interview. Um, uh, health, I think you could probably put on there. And then I think there's, I mean, to Tim's point about county, I think there's uh, sort of county operational things that um, are worth revisiting. You know, weed management, 
on um, road maintenance, snow plowing, those kinds of things. I mean, I think um, those are pieces that we can always circle back and kind of talk about it in a different way or just seasonally remind folks about some of the important things to remember. When do uh, uh, property valuations go out in the mail? That was one that I thought was really important that we'd be prepared for. I, Whether that's one of the commissioners speaking to it or some other communication effort. Mm -hmm. I had a note. Um, I had a note that it was in August, but I can follow up to find out on that for sure. I think it's the well, I can't remember. Well, I think it's before that because the um, the deadline that there's a deadline where people have to send in their objection to the Board of Equalization that's in July, I'm pretty sure. So it may be coming up sooner. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure Gary knows exactly. Yep. I, I just remember, you know, you and I talking, and I talked to Gary about it as well, is that uh, when everybody sees these huge numbers, then put it in the context that that does not necessarily mean that their taxes are going up that much. And I think that's based on our conversation. I had put property assessments in for an August topic, but I will reach out to Gary and find out for sure and then adjust adjust that. Certainly the one pager that Gary should include in the mailer. I think it's okay for, for these pieces to work together um, to then just provide that little bit extra education on whatever the topic is. So it's not just one and done, but they're seeing some of this terminology and some of these topics more than one time. Um, provides a more well-rounded piece. I think um, one of the other things that it wouldn't hurt to do is ask Heads, I think especially the elected officials about talk things that they want to see kind of reinforced. I mean, I know they have their own methods of communication, but I think, you know, we have this one when we're talking, well, two, when we're talking about radio and the newspaper um, column, we can always speak yeah, to those things. Certainly as a general topic, public safety, we yeah. should stand, not just the sheriff's department, but the jail and communications. Emergency management. Well, when I think about the clerk's office, you know, around election time, it's always good to remind people to vote and remind them what the process is and some of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I have, I think that's a great idea to reach out to department heads. I was planning on reaching out um, for the newsletter as well, just to not formalize the process, but um, ask for more input for um, information for the newsletter. And so I think this works well with that as well. Yes, certainly as, a, as a, maybe a specific topic, uh, but human services, I think today was an example, this morning was an example of when a lot of people have no idea what's going on out there, but that I really want to know myself. It's a fact that these situations occur in the county to deal with them. Do we post a schedule of our summer maintenance on our roads as when we mag chloride and things like that? Um, I would I would have at times changed my routes if I had known 
where things were happening? I, I think one of the challenges is that's a pretty fluid process uh, and so in many ways, but, you know, weather, supply, right? you know, I think we try to get out like during this period, we're going to be doing the work, but the exact days are really, it's one of the things my struggles with on messaging. Okay. Does Rodenbridge have their own Facebook page? As far as I know, they do not. Double check that. Man is working on inventory of all our social media across the board. I want. Do I have to VPN in when I unplug from my desk? You're going to have to have here. I don't believe that Rodenbridge Bridge had anything. Um, I know that public health has other things besides COVID they want to talk about also. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I have a couple of meetings coming up. I am meeting with the clerk's office this week, public health this week, just to start talking about those topics. Um, and coming up with, I don't want to say a plan, but an idea of how to start getting uh, all this information out. And so whether it's social media or other using some of these other tools that we have. I think this is going to be really helpful for me at least when it's my turn to be able to, okay, here's a list of topics, Tim, which you, know, I, you know, you and I can talk about which one might be the most timely, mm -hmm. and then maybe just help prepare some bullet points for me to build my column around. Yeah, I think that's that we need to cover. You know, you know, like I said, if you want to integrate two or three or four items into one column, that would be helpful. So I just started from scratch. So I'm going to add double checking on Rodent Bridge to my list of things to look up because I actually have to restart my computer to access my files. Speaking of the public elected officials, I don't know if I told you about this, it's pretty amusing. I was talking with Catherine about um, short-term rentals, funding opportunities for affordable housing, what mill levies would look like, et cetera, et cetera. And she was asking me some questions. I said, well, just get, your, just get your tax bill out. You can look right there and see what they are. So she gets it out. She goes, well, I'm not, they're not billing me for the housing authority tax. Like, what? And she's, she's saying, yeah, she's, she, you know, reading line item by line item by line item, and there's nothing for the housing authority. <laughs> and I go, that that can't be right. You better, you know, you need to call the treasurer's office. So she calls the treasurer's office. Turns out that the form that they print the list of no levies that they're paying for only has so much space. And so they drop off the bottom three or four things. They don't even appear on your tax bill. And, <laughs> and the advice from the treasurer's office, well, you can just go online, the whole thing's there. Online, see it all. That seems odd. It might be a discussion to consolidate maybe multiple county ones in one. Yeah. Or yeah. a smaller font. Well, we talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was pretty So the last thing I wanted to ask was how much time you wanted um, 
between when I send you the list of questions for the radio roundtable and when we record? I don't care. No. I usually just look at them as for peace <laughs> Unless there's one I need to look something up. Yeah. Do some research. Yeah. But day of it's usually that's fine for me. Okay. I mean, if there's a thing to be made, you should just ask us the questions cold and see how we do. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but sometimes it's a question where I want to go read something first. That's yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. And I guess that wasn't my last question. Um, I am hoping to put a recurring uh, meeting on your calendars to record the radio roundtables. And my thought was uh, three o'clock on Tuesday. Uh, and I don't remember which Tuesday of the month. Um, I'll double check that. But my thought was we could do it right after the meeting. And then if it happens to end early, we can bump it up if need be, or we can uh, bump it a little bit later if we need to accommodate our time. I like that. I think that's easiest because Tuesdays are usually reserved. Yeah, and right. They can be very rarely I have a monthly or 2 p.m. meeting on Tuesdays. Okay. So maybe you can pick a different meeting then. But I also can make that meeting move if I have to. Well, I will try to work around that. Is it on your calendar? Okay, so I will just make a note. All right, then I will work on the spreadsheet um, and I'll share it with you once it's in a pretty good place. And that way you can go in and take a look at the topics, add more, um, you can even drag one over to when you're writing your op-ed and go ahead and put it in the schedule so okay. that you just know if there are topics that you specifically want to discuss. Um, and we can go from there. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We have a plan. And if you need to talk with us about you know, administrative type items, we're always going to use this time. Okay. That's easier than trying to schedule a separate meeting time. Great. Thank yeah. you. I apologize for the back and forth on all it's the totally other meetings. Not a big deal. It's the way of the world nowadays. I think it's one of the downsides of Zoom is that everybody can pack so many meetings in. So right. Yes, it's true. Um, okay, commissioners, updates. Let's go first. Well, I'll jump in there. Great. Um, the first one that I had we did was the Northwest Colorado Development IGA. Um, then I'd like to uh, touch on a little bit of uh, conversation I had at Club 20 um, with the Forest Service. Um, I was concerned, you know, with the Wildfire Council trying to do this mediation work that we have some communities that are pretty much completely surrounded by national forests. Can I Absolutely. Mediation work? Oh, remediation. I'm sorry. A mitigation. 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 Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Mediation, wrong words. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I was speaking with uh, the gentleman, and he used to be the Forest Service Ranger here. He's now down in the G mode. I can't remember his name. Chad. Thank you. Oh, you ran it, him? Yeah, he was there. And, uh, you know, he was talking about coordinating with communities 
to do mitigation work. And so, you know, that has been one of my concerns. And so I sat down, I stepped up to the mic and asked him, you know, how this is going to happen and how we're going to move forward with this, which at that point I, I realized this is conceptual. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and send an email to, uh, to Michael Brecker and uh, ask him about coordinating with, with this. Uh, it was interesting, he asked me what communities I was thinking about and I told him the ones up on Seahouse Road. Um, at which point, and I realized he was playing to his audience, he said, oh, those are $25 million homes. They ought to be able to take care of that themselves. Yes, which which I didn't appreciate, but I didn't see any point. Who said that? Chad. Chad. And so I was like, okay, well, thank you, and we'll move forward with that. So I reached out to Mo and and informed of this, him of this, and uh, together we'll move forward and see if we can coordinate this between them and uh, Colorado State Forest Service. Um, Next thing I'd like to talk to is about Club 20. Um, it was an interesting meeting um, and an interesting organization. But, I, you know, it, it works better because there is a little more balance in that organization. Um, and they reached out to me and asked me to uh, join either the executive committee or one of their steering committees and they seem to be pushing me in the direction of energy. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to turn down a seat at the table. Who's our, I forgot, who's our actual uh, representative? Is it Brennan? No, it's that guy. The young guy, yeah. And How did he end up there? Do you know? He showed up to me. Right. And that was before my talk. Yeah, I, I remember him becoming the well, and Doug Munger is still a member as well. Yes, right? Doug, Doug was very present at this meeting. As an ad hoc. Yes. As right, an individual. As, as, yeah, as a Rock County Rancher's house. So we just need to make sure that there's going to be the organizational meeting every other year. It'll be this September. And so you've got that on your calendar. Oh. With a big star, okay. <laughs> red flag like stars. So, that. are these uh, is our is Rock County's representative actually attending? No. Okay. And Britta is the alternate, right? Or Correct. The second, yeah. Correct. Um, let's see. Fair board. I, I continue to attend fair board meetings. Um, things are moving along. Pretty well there. Jay and I have had some conversations, um, and we'll continue to have conversation. Um, some of the members of the fair board, uh, let's just say that they have some unbridled enthusiasm, um, and trying to get them to understand that we have to have a complete game plan out there uh, moving into the future. Um, I'm going to sit down and have uh, a lunch meeting with David Long. So to get us both on the same page, he is a go, go, go kind of guy, but you need to know where you're going. And so I hope to be able to sit down with him um, and I will sit down with Jay beforehand so that we can have a good overview of what we're looking at out at, out at the fairgrounds and so that the fair board will understand the direction and our intent. Um, next one is the airport. 
Um, as you know, again, we had our third weekend in a row of breaking our records. Um, I have received a request from Robin and Les Lyman to go out and view the airport during the height of uh, their busiest time. So this weekend, Saturday, I went out and observed. Um, Tanil met me, took me through. Um, and I will tell you that they're learned. Um, I don't know if you saw the email that they sent out this week, TSA, um, you know, um, requesting certain things of staff uh, not to uh, leave carts to, to be fully loaded, to keep them moving, um, to open the ticket counters two to three hours early to get people through TSA timely. Um, so when I went out there, the only real backup that I saw was a restaurant, which has capacity issues at this point in time. And at the end of TSA, where the belts converge into um, the secure area, there's a bit of a traffic flow issue there, but that's all something that everybody's aware of and will work to deal with in our master plan at the airport as we expand. Um, but what I did see was very fluid operation, um, very stress-free environment, which I didn't expect to see. Um, and one of the comments in the email from Robin and Les is that it was shoulder to shoulder. And so I asked Neil, is that correct? Were you shoulder to shoulder at one point in time? And she said, yeah, it happens. But it was a, a very fluid situation and uh, they were able to uh, get people out of there as quickly as they possibly could. They have had some luxury limo services sign up and are now doing business out at the airport. Um, as we talked about it, it seems to be the very younger travelers that do not have their ground transportation prearranged. And this is a generation that expects to get off of an airport and hit their Uber app and have somebody there. So, uh, you know, we're going to work on communicating better to these people as possible. But, uh, you know, we're talking people, we're talking communication. But I, I do want you to know that I thought the situation was flowing very well out there. Um, they had seen the problem coming and made efforts to be prepared and had staff on hand to deal with it. So, um, I was very pleased and things were flowing better than I was originally uh, informed. So I think they're doing an excellent job with what they have. There are changes that need to happen to that facility to make it flow better, but they're doing a great job with what they have. And I told them that as much. Um, the building department, I just want you to know that um, as a licensed Colorado professional master plumber, I've been doing my continuing education and it is quite apparent to me from the state that we are going to be seeing adoption of gray water because quite a bit of my uh, training was on gray water and how to label it, how to um, make sure there's no, you know, basically protect the, the public from the gray water. So that's come. Um, and I will have a conversation with Mr. Carr um, so that we can try to be ahead of the curve. 
another thing I just wanted to let you know, and with Samantha's help, um, I'm going to start doing community outreach. Um, first thing I'm going to start with is I'm going to do coffees with the commissioner. And I'm going to start in oh, Hayden. You're going to shame us, um, <laughs> I'm going to start in Hayden. I'm looking for some place to do it within Steamboat. And we've reached out to the Clark store, and they're interested, and we're working on details for that. Um, I've also had Samantha um, reach out to the schools. I will be going up on the third to speak to the North Route Charter students um, about Black history. Um, we were hoping to get it in last month, but it didn't fit their schedule. Um, so I'm going to be doing, you know, community outreach with the schools. Um, I think you may have gotten an email about a mock uh, BBC meeting that I wish to hold for the, the kids. I used to do mock town councils. Um, I'm really shocked when I talk to young people how much they don't know about their government um, and how it works. And I think if we can get them interested at a young age, make them understand their civic commitment and the opportunities that are available for them, we may get the light to go on for some of these young people. We may get some people to come sit in these seats. Um, while at Club 20, I had an interesting conversation with the Fackler, Flackler family. Um, they're beneficiaries of Club 20, big sponsors. And she made a point to sit next to me and started asking me what we're doing here in Round County. And I told her about um, the Northwest Colorado Development Council and some of the other things that we're doing here to transition with OJT. Um, and she asked me to reach out to her um, and that she'd be interested in working with us. She was very interested in the Brown Ranch and what's happening there. So I'm going to have some informational conversations with her. Um, she has interest in working in this community. We'll see how that all turns out. And that's it. That's all you've been doing. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> uh, you know, CCI would be, this is far too short of a time for me to, to uh, go over anything we did down there. Uh, if you have specific questions, ask me. You know, it would take me a couple of hours to work my way through it. A uh, couple of highlights, human services, there's a, a letter that CCI adopted to, uh, uh, they're working with the CASB case and the rural school alliance with uh, a lot of concerns about the new office of, or department of early childhood and how that's being set up. Uh, it was quite a bit of discussion on how aggressive the letter should be. Ultimately, the group decided to send the aggressive mean letter, <laughs> unsurprisingly. Commissioner James from Welland County is very vocal about how best to approach these things. Interesting guy, you know, with his politics, really want to not like him, but he's been like <laughs> such an interesting kind of an abusive guy. It's fun to, to talk with. He actually, I mean, Awesome. And he has shown himself to not be as um, sort of dogmatic as some of his predecessors, I think. I, yeah, I think he's interested in working with people instead of 
put it down order. So I'm, I'm beginning to actually kind of sort of like the guy. I have an update on that um, that letter. I'll pull it. Into okay. Place. Somehow I'm on. Well, not somehow. I'm on this list. I'm on Jenny's list of people who care about this. So just try to hit some of the highlights here. You know, the, the those human services meetings are man, they get deep and long and hard into a lot of details. Uh, I think maybe I just need to sit and talk with Kelly about you know what she thinks about there didn't seem to be a significant number of them that were I think Route County really had a big dog on the hunt. So often those issues are really big, big deals to the big counties, especially in terms of cost, manpower, what they can do and what they can't do. We got them to back, we got CCI to back off of their opposed position on the power line trails. <laughs> so now when people are actually open to the idea of uh, at least requiring transmission providers to provide notice if they're going to abandon the power line or put a new one in and give people the opportunity that makes sense to build a trail there, the obvious argument is that that's a great place to put a trail because it's already disturbed ground, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of wildfires uh, uh, legislation, Tim, and honestly, a fair amount of it is uh, gets into a level of detail that is kind of uh, what's uh, what I'm really uh, capable of fully understanding. I'd like to have a conversation with you about it. Absolutely. Real controversial bill around uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions in Colorado. Uh, and it has many sections in it. And, and actually, again, to uh, Commissioner James's credit, while there's plenty of stuff in there that counties like Weld County would be very unhappy about, and they are unhappy about, he also pointed out that there were a number of things in there that were actually very good ideas that should be pursued. Uh, what kind of sparked controversy was a requirement that all new small engines become electric. You won't be able to buy uh, gasoline powered small engines. And I think that makes perfect sense in the context of uh, leaf blowers. There's a stat out there that I'm not Lawnmowers and leaf blowers. I had no idea. Like a, a leaf blower that you run for 30 minutes puts out as much greenhouse gases as driving a Honda Accord a thousand miles. It is amazing, isn't it? But the, uh, the, there was a, a lot of justified concern. Well, wait a minute. What about all these generators that ag operations use for operating remote pumps and just different kinds of equipment? And also the problem with the bill was just had a laundry list of other things that included. It also included requiring PARA to uh, uh, to prepare annual reports about how PARA's investments might uh, affect greenhouse gas emissions, which might actually be a good idea. Uh, and then a lot of other things about. Uh, COGCC authority over injection wells, requirements for the Commissioner of Agriculture to look at uh, sequestration opportunities. And it was, I think, 
generally speaking, I was actually surprised that CCI did not come out and oppose it. There was a lot of people that wanted to, but we ended up agreeing on uh, a position of event so that we could remain at the table there. Interesting stuff on mobile homes, uh, how to help uh, uh, enhance uh, mobile home residence opportunities to actually be able to become uh, owners of their mobile homes, providing some additional funding. A lot of that's part of the uh, ongoing housing funding that's coming down the pipe. The, uh, Looks like we're going to be successful in changing the lodging tax requirement. That was a CCI priority. That's all looking really well. It's it's sailing through. It's probably going to get signed. So that, that two percent lodging tax won't have to be uh, used exclusively for marketing. Does it increase that cap or just no? Tim, did you send me an email, something from the Colorado Supreme Court about um, a decision that won't allow short-term rentals to be classified as as uh, commercial? Uh, no. Uh, what that was, I was asking the question: Would it be possible for individual property owners to voluntarily ask to have their uh, their designation changed from residential to commercial. And I was thinking about it in the context if you could have a licensing regime that said, that's fine, we'll give you a short term rental license, but you have to agree to the commercial classification. Oh. Eric dumped all kinds of cold water over the top of that. He said, yeah, there's no way you can waive constitutional rights, okay. even if you want to. So that's a non starter. Well, I thought it was a great idea. Thinking outside the box. I like it. Um, a lot of side conversations. I sat next to Dick Elsner both days. Dick Elsner is a commissioner from Park County who is really taking the lead in having this conversation about short term rentals and the potential impacts. Of and he has a finance background, I think. He actually no, he has a software background. He wrote code apparently, different things. But uh, he's just been super thoughtful about this, uh, along with a couple of other people like George Marlin. Uh, and, you know, the, the idea of a property tax equity is not going to happen in this legislative session. The, uh, it's still back to just try to concentrate on platform transparency. Jay and I are meeting with a representative of Airbnb tomorrow afternoon. It'll be really, I'm really anxious to see how that conversation goes, how we want to move forward from there. Rest of it is substantial. And then just one last thing, not related to the legislature. I have cold feet uh, and serious second thoughts about where we're going with AV and furniture in this room. And I'll tell you why. Um, obviously, the presentation that we were given a couple of weeks ago was a disaster from the AV provider. Uh, that's kind of going back to square one to talk about that again. Um, and I, and 
between the furniture and the cost of the AV in this room, it's like, wow, what are we, we're spending a lot of money theoretically to address a situation that I don't know that it's that big of a problem. And there's a part of me that thinks we're really going to be doing a pretty significant, robust, modern AV system over in the HHS building. And uh, potentially, if we know that we're going to have a high profile, controversial meeting, we just meet over there. Because I just think about our day to day operations in here as they look, as we conduct business here, there have been some times where it's hard for participants to hear what's going on inside of the room. But I feel like I don't know that it's risen to the level that it really needs to be fixed that badly. But I mean, I'm uh, happy to continue to look at what Julie brings to us, but just express it. So we are reissuing that RFP uh, for AV. And I think the plan right now is to focus short term on the building because we have to get that battle in pretty quickly. Right. Um, so that's going to be the priority in the short term versus this for you. We're you know, geared up to try to move that sooner than, um, than, than later. And that's switching right now in terms of priorities. So I, I think you'll have ample time to, to weigh in on that. And then you know technology is changing so quickly too that see where that ends up. I think I just I I don't disagree with what you're saying that you know the setup we have now works generally speaking. I think I just think about a longer term view, but again it changes over time, right? And I I don't know. I guess I just sort of lean toward the professionalism too. I mean, just sort of this like amalgamation of cords and devices and tables and it's just a little wonky um and i would probably prefer to have something that feels a little more professional but um but i think we should look at the price tag in the end too and say is what we're gaining worth what we're spending um and i, I mean i hope it's about conversation you know, you know the problem with the av stuff in particular i mean the furniture is one thing and and we could probably do better at the furniture wise, especially in terms of professional appearance. The thing I want to, and I told this, I told this to Julie a couple of times. This idea that we're going to purchase a system based upon even a good presentation, let alone a terrible presentation we had, is still it's just a presentation. I want to go sit in a room and see how it works, and That's maybe right. we can kick the can down the road for this room. Until that one becomes operational, we have some idea about it. Or at least somebody invite me to go to some other county or city facility right. and see how it works. Yeah, I, I think we should see some respondents to this, which have done specific county and municipal hearing rooms and what's working hasn't. There's a, a couple vendors which are a little more specialized in that. There's one out of Grand Junction who basically did all the public rooms in North Fort Valley, different levels depending on the community's needs. And then it, you know, part of that is what's the long-term plans for uh, streaming meetings, you know, live versus the owls and that kind of stuff. I mean, I think the Zoom type is going to be a, no matter what we do, we should upgrade our capacity for the remote participation meetings versus what we have. But some of the rest of the bells and whistles are ones you you can 
based on the proposals we get in the income, we can probably find a location where you can actually sit and see how it works and it doesn't work. And by the way, we are going to be moving into a Microsoft Teams environment, correct? Yeah, by the um, later this year, we'll be switching over to Microsoft 365. And, um, that'll be a transition from whether we stick with Zoom for the BCC, most of our internal meetings, we've got a, a ton of different Zoom accounts out there. Yeah. So I think the plan will be to transition to uh, Microsoft Team Viewer for those remote meetings. So there's pros and cons on that. But well, the promise we're going to be basically paying for it anyway, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but, you know, Whether we use it or not, we'll be paying. For absolutely, it, right? yeah. That's a annual subscription base, so that that is something we've already had some internal discussions. Like, by the way, I mean, I can't believe how many Zoom accounts we have now for our department basis. Yeah, and Teams has some tools that are good, like if you have a hybrid, like you have some people working at home and some in person, and there's some ways to stay connected with your, I mean, it's points for doing It's not just the video meeting tools. Does um, so that make sense? Do you have thoughts on that? Well, you know, I will tell you I've used both platforms and comfortable with either one of them. Um, teams does seem to work. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts about this room? This room, um, I had a hard time spending the money from the very beginning. Um, if we can get the package that's going to fit our needs and provide the services we're looking for, I do feel we need to upgrade electronically in this room. Um, you know, the furniture, we could look more professional, but at the same time, I'm almost feeling like that's an ego thing for me too. Well, I think they're probably inseparable. That if you're going to be upgrading the AV, you're going to be upgrading your furniture at the same time. It's not like we're going to keep this stuff and, and just do right. the AV. So I'm not opposed to it. I'm just, I think I'm in favor of kicking the can down the road and getting this. Well, it doesn't sound like we have much of a choice anyway. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like you guys have identified a viable vendor at this point. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll we see. We haven't that. identified a vendor that could do a decent presentation. That's a fact. And if you can't do it, we all have a vendor. Probably not my AV vendor. Exactly. <laughs> that was world class, bad. <laughs> I'm multitasking and going back to the first thing. <laughs> and and then, I walk out 30 minutes at times. Wow. Who did you guys make sit through it then? Julie. <laughs> you set it up. No, we Julie really and Roberta and Robert. And yeah, no, it was, yeah. I mean, Julie was pretty crushed because she really went to a lot of effort to make sure that all the right people were at the table and that everything you know, all organized. Did you guys only have one person respond to the RFP? What happened? No, what, what happened was they bid out the furniture package, um, and this was a byproduct of that. Okay. And then there's a question on the relationship between the provider that I think it was presented as, as a uniform company that may not quite be true. So uh, I think the presentation triggered like, oh, we need to go back out on this. Got it. Um, I have just a couple updates. Um, the Climate Collaborative Board met on Friday. That continues to move forward and go well. We're um, just kind of working out the initial governance stuff, you know, there's some communications things. Apparently, we have to have a logo. I don't know. That's not my 
it's not my thing that I'm excited about, but you know, some of that kind of stuff. And then um, just um, having conversation about um, various decision points in terms of issuing the RFP for that kind of management entity, if you will, right. to provide staff time to support the work of the climate action um, board collaborative. Um, and so I think the goal is that that RFP would be ready to go out in April-ish, and we're still working through just a few items, which basically just defining the scope of work in terms of like how many working groups are there and how often do you think they're gonna end up meeting? Do you need minutes or do you not need minutes? And just those types of decision points that need to inform the RFP. So um, that's where that group stands. You know, I know that Scott is continuing to um, facilitate a group internally in terms of um, sustainability um, within the county. And I think the um, impact of this collaborative board is going to end up being a year or two down the line. You know, it's going to initially be just everybody bringing what they have to the table and conversation about it. Um, and then, of course, having this management entity kind of facilitating that work. So I think going well. Um, Gotta walk before you run. Yeah, right. absolutely. And I, you know, the thing that I've been trying to make sure we remember is it doesn't mean nobody's doing anything. It just means that piece where we're bringing everyone's work together is going to take a little bit of time to set up. Um, I sent you guys that letter on the Department of Early Childhood. I was going to give you that. Was that the same letter? You know, I don't know. I, it was a version of the same letter, but you can see from the email that I forwarded you, it's now gone over to CASB. And so there's some. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think it may be just a slightly different iteration, but yeah. it's being issued in conjunction with CASB. Um, I wanted to tell you guys that I noticed that um, you guys probably did too that the CDC had us in that red level, despite the fact that we had zero hospitalizations. And I just asked Roberta why that was. Um, and she said we have a hospital region, which includes us, Moffitt, Jackson, and I think one other. And so our risk level is the same per the CDC across that region, which I thought was interesting. I just thought I'd share that with you guys because I was really confused about it. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, what does it take to get out of red? Do we need to build a wall and make them pay? Build a wall. <laughs> right, well, we, we should just re-annex them because remember, they used to be totally gap. Did I ever tell you guys about the, the um, Ray Beck? This was like mid-pandemic. And he, I get this phone message from him. And he said, Beth, I'm coming over to Route County and I'm just wondering, am I going to need to confiscate my gun at the county? <laughs> he actually did that? Yeah. <laughs> he was joking. Yeah. Around, but I, I called him back and said, yeah, he should definitely be prepared to do that yeah. and bring a mask too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, we have CCAT governing board today and um, you know, we'll be talking about various legislation. Uh, the only one I want, I'll, I can let you guys know, you know, following that if there's anything. Um, but CCAT continues to be in conversation about the collective bargaining bill. And I think of particular note is that the current iteration only includes counties and um, 
higher education. They've decided to remove municipalities from it. And CCAT has basically just kind of said, well, I guess we're just going to carry on. But I don't know. I'm sort of like, seriously. So you don't understand the justification for that? <laughs> because we're subdivisions of the state. But the real justification is because Kevin Bonner made us think about it. And there's been, I mean, I think there's a feeling from CCAT a little bit of like, we operated in good faith and came to the table to have conversation about this. And now look how we get rewarded for that, which is pretty frustrating. Um, it sounds like the governor is setting his parameters yeah. on the sign pretty clearly. I know. Yeah. Um, but CCAT is continuing to have conversation about it, has their list of concerns that they're bringing and having, you know, um, working through those. I don't know what will come of any of that. I haven't been involved in those things. I just know that CCAT's um, really the only one at the table having the conversation. So, yeah, CCI set. A letter to the governor about collective bargaining, uh, a pretty innocuous letter, kind of said, We just want to be a part of the conversation. I think there's a general realization that uh, if the governor makes up his mind, he wants something, you better figure out a way to, to, the table the conversation. Yeah, to be a part of the conversation. Uh, you know, the, and again, I think that I think everybody's fairly unified on the single bargaining entity, and in fact, that moves forward with which all things. Well, because administratively, that's, I mean, that's the only, right. yeah, I mean, that, that's huge. I think the other piece is that um, when the state did their collective bargaining stuff, um, you know, there's some exempt, not exemptions, but kind of um, language in there about um, the governmental entity being able to do the things that they're obligated to do, right? And collective bargaining and strikes and those kinds of things not getting in the way of public safety and um, certain ways that that has I, to You know, out. one of the things in that conversation that I, I have looked into, there's, uh, there's obviously the collective bargaining agreement for state employees and then using what they call the WINS model, which is used- So WINS is just the name of the state collective bargaining entity so it would just be, so the state employees can't strike again i don't think so yeah. i don't think they can or at least they can't in ways that compromise certain government functions i don't know if they if there's a complete non-allowance for striking or if it's if it's you know sort of defined in certain ways i'm not Maybe sure public safety that yeah I'm, I'm not sure Okay. But that has been the big thing that CCAT has been talking about is let's, we, we've worked through these issues, let's model this after what we did with the state collective sure. bargaining. It's funny for me because on the one hand, having been a former union member, really understanding and observing the really negative impacts as the unions have basically withered and died across the country and the negative impact that's had on workforce wages and working conditions, it's just really easy for me from that perspective to be pretty pro-union and be supportive of this. On the other hand, when you're sitting on the other side of the table, it gives you pause for thought about how, how all that works. Well, that's always the case, right? Yeah. I mean, that's always, like, it's always the, our people don't need union. You know, it's good for everybody else. That's always the, the conversation, I think, and that's what people come up with. So.
Um, that is all I have. Anything else? Yeah, I actually just wanted to share a comment from yeah. from, from uh, Club 20, and I, I did tell Commissioner Corrigan, but, you know, we had a, a conversation on wolves there. And uh, how that <laughs> During that conversation on wolves, former Commissioner Monger made a comment that there are two things you can forget about rails to trails. He says, because that ain't coming through my property. And he said, not unless they're being followed by the wolves. <laughs> he has quite the interesting sense of humor. He does. He's funny. Um, actually, a couple quick things. Yeah. Uh, I had that. It's one of the benefits of going to these things to find out about things you might not ever have found out about before. So, do either of you know what Kratom is? No. So, Kratom apparently is some kind of a plant that is being that's harvested in Asia and is now being sold out of storefronts. And it, apparently, it has both medicinal and potentially hallucinogenic. Qualities it's, like all good things from uh, <laughs> and so it's just a, a bill about the regulation of kratom processing. I just, why does CCI care? Well, I think uh, uh, I think there's there were some folks that were just wait a minute, why are we finding another place for government to regulate something? It right. kind of let the free market go until. Those same folks understood that it might be a hallucinogenic product, in which case they were all in favor of regulation. And then the other one was really interesting. Apparently, it's in the coffee family. I'm looking it up. The Mayo Clinic says it's unsafe and ineffective. It has okay. opioid properties and some stimulant-like effects. Yeah. Opioid properties and stimulant. Which is, that's interesting, right? And then the other one, actually, really interesting conversation was uh, the bill to prohibit employer adverse action uh, for marijuana use, which is, you know, a growing movement that should we be, uh, sh should employers be able to fire someone for using uh, marijuana uh, outside of work time, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I think that there, well, a number of the more progressive commissioners probably in favor of loosening that relaxation. Uh, uh, Tamara, as usually, Pollock from Summit County made some really good points that we don't even know how to really measure this right at this point in time. We don't have an effective tests right, to be able to determine whether someone's high or not. So it is it is different than alcohol in a lot of ways. And I think everybody just agreed to walk away from taking a position on that. See, See how it works out. What do we know about? Um, I mean, CDLs are federally regulated. That would be right? that so would be how exactly. does that? Yeah, you would. Okay. It wouldn't affect what's going on with drivers, heavy equipment, people. And it kind of came out. There was this disabled guy. There was a court case. It was a bad court case. Disabled guy that worked for. AT&T? It's one of the telecoms. Yeah. And he was taking medical marijuana to kill his pain or whatever. And it wasn't affecting his job, and they fired him anyway. And the Colorado Supreme Court upheld that firing. So it's kind of a response to that kind of situation. Yes. 
It is a tough one. Typically, the county would do a drug recognition test on someone to see if they're under the influence versus a quick blood test and breathalyzer type thing. Right. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. You can test someone to see whether or not there's marijuana in their system. Right. There's not an effective test to see whether or not they're impaired. Yes. Right. Other than the, you know, the physical test on the place. Walk the line. Yeah. Right. And then folks who truly have medical exemptions for But employers don't have to recognize that medical exemption. It's interesting though, because you could take all kinds of drugs that could be impairing your performance at work that are perfectly, I mean, there's painkillers or muscle relaxants or, I mean, all well, kinds of things, right? Microdosing acid that wouldn't show up on your right. uh, <laughs> drug test. That's sure. why so yeah. many professional athletes are using that now is performance enhancement. Really? Yeah. yeah. yeah I learn something new every day. Yeah, I had no idea that microdosing could. Big sports. Sports. I've never heard of it as a performance enhancement. Yeah. I had heard of it as like an anxiety reducer. Well, that, that in and of itself might enhance performance. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, okay, I don't think we have anything else. Great, so we're back at one o'clock then. Lovely. Are you, is everything gonna be okay over yeah, here? Yeah, I'm fine. Um, okay, sorry, let me pull up my agenda real quick here. Um, all right, it's one o'clock. We have Nancy Spillane and Linda Delaney here to talk to us about behavioral health. So, um, and Roberta is joining us as well. <laughs> Doing all right. Right. I am. Um, so we'll go ahead and uh, turn it over to you all. Okay, um, I'm going to start. I'm Nancy Spillane. I think I've, I, I've met with Beth and Tim uh, Corgan. Tim Redmond, it's a pleasure to meet you. And Roberta, I think we have met in other meetings, but here we are again. Uh, I'm going to get started uh, right away because I think we will use our entire 45 minutes or hour that we have. And I want to just give you a reminder of what HARC is and who we represent. HARC was formed in 2017 uh, by a group of Route County citizens, I think by default, Linda and I ended up being the leaders of HARC. The acronym stands for Healthcare Activists for Route County. Initially, we formed uh, as we found a need to keep Route County citizens informed about healthcare issues in the Valley that could in some way affect them. Our way of communicating with Route County citizens is basically through letters to the editor, columns, emails, uh, writing to the powers that be, that sort of thing. Uh, 
In more recent times, the last three years, as we were looking at healthcare issues in Route County and items about which uh, citizens brought to us, we were finding that we were getting more and more and more requests to please do something about your healthcare in Route County. Originally, uh, we had written a white paper with our findings. So, and I think all of you know, we had presented that to UC Health in October, 2020. And it was sort of a, a, a white paper that stated how we see things or how uh, information that people had brought to us. Uh, we interviewed um, citizens in five counties, Grand, Jackson, Moffat, Route, and Rio Blanco. Since then, our focus is more on the four counties, the aforementioned minus Rio, Rio Blanco. Um, but in the last three years, it seemed that more and more our attention was drawn to behavioral healthcare, mental healthcare in Route County. Uh, and originally in our white paper to the hospital, we had proposed that we build a behavioral health care center somewhere in one of the four counties to serve the four counties and Northwest Colorado. Uh, we had lots of concerns, mostly that we didn't have psychiatric beds, we didn't have, which we still don't, we did not have a detox facility, we did not have a place for people to go who were in need that needed more than 72 hours. So our focus um, in the last, since we presented that paper where we thought we should be going for a behavioral health care center, our focus has changed. And that's why we are meeting with you today. Uh, our focus now is on getting services to people in an organized, orchestrated, and deliberate way, because in general, we find that is not happening. Um, three years ago, or well, I guess in 2020, I guess that, um, the news was pretty grim, the state of affairs for mental health care in Route County. And now it's even grimmer. And I don't think that is news to anyone. Uh, the pandemic has increased the need for mental health services. And in our county, we find that these are the areas that need addressing. Uh, substance abuse and overdoses, youth mental health and pediatric specialty care, suicides, the role of the criminal justice system, the mental health uh, care workforce crisis, medical detox, lack of knowledge of accessibility for existing services, and COVID-19, um, as I said, has turned the problem into a crisis. Children's Hospital Colorado reports that since the pandemic, emergency room visits for youth mental health crises jumped by 70%. Um, statewide, the hotline calls rose by nearly 40%. Uh, organizations that serve kids are overwhelmed and that's certainly no exception here in Route County. The suicide rate in Route County between 2000 and 2020 was 20 suicides per 100,000 people, which is higher than the state's rate of 18.62. In 
In 2021, the county reported 10 suicides. That's higher than any number in the past five years. And so far, and, and in 2021, Mine Springs has already doubled from the year prior, um, prior's number of crisis calls. Requests for help from reps uh, reaching everyone pre preventing suicide tripled from 2019 to 2021. And as I stated before, our county still does not have a detox facility for those in need. And before Linda jumps in, um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about behavioral health care versus physical health care. Historically, behavioral health care has been financed, authorized, structured, researched, and regulated differently than our other health conditions. Slowly, health care plans have started to include mental health care, but it's, extreme, it's extremely limited, and most people can get two, maybe three visits to a counselor or a therapist um, and have their insurance pay for it but most people are not cured, if you will, in three visits. It's the premise of this proposal that we, be, that we view behavioral health as we do any other health issue. Um, hence, this work, behavioral health care work, we think should also come under the Board of Public Health. Systems financing structures would have to change to incorporate and respond appropriately to this new understanding. This is already happening nationwide. It's happening some in Colorado, and we feel it needs to be a priority in Northwest Colorado. Trauma and mental health are not as simple to assess, diagnose, treat, or finance as physical health. Medical necessity qualifications for mental and behavioral health treatments and interventions impose restrictions resulting in treatments that are too late and often not enough. Many families do not receive what they need when they first need support, Thus, they begin the steady descent into greater dysfunction and pain. Insurance-funded support for treatment does not occur unless they quite simply get worse. And I want to go back just one second to let you know who our members of HARC are. I should have done this right at the beginning. We have 25 members that have, I would say, the majority has remained fairly active over the course of our um, existence. We have one doctor in our group, we have two nurses, we have a doctor's office that is represented, we have a counselor slash therapist person, we have a retired PhD in medical anthropology, and we have a person who has worked for the United Nations um, and um, in the capacity of global public health, and she also has worked for the World Health Organization. So we feel that our group alone has a lot of really valuable resources, um, and they all have contributed to this report. Linda? Okay. In order to define just what the major problems are, we have uh, not just done a fair, fair amount of research. We've also talked to a lot of nonprofits, um, a lot of providers, and the agreement seems to be that the major obstacles to mental health care are, first of all, financial. 
And that is because we have therapists who will take full payment commercial insurance. We are really short on help for those people who can't afford it. Um, we also have a workforce crisis and we certainly have that here in Route County in terms of providers who will take Medicare and Medicaid. Um, statewide, they say that the recognized regional health, mental health care centers are short somewhere over a thousand people. There are over a thousand vacancies. And, and that means that the ones who are working are overburdened. And it also means that the patients are waiting for weeks, sometimes months before they can get an appointment. Now, they tend to do pretty well with a crisis, but a crisis doesn't end just in one day or overnight. There is an ongoing need to avoid another crisis. And we're not doing well most anywhere in the state about that. Up here in Route County, it's very difficult to attract qualified providers because of the cost of living and the lack of affordable housing. Um, healthcare is not the only industry that is suffering. And I know as many times as you've talked about it, we don't really need to say much more about that because you're well aware of that problem. We do have mine springs, but they cannot meet the total community need on their own between the, them and the hospital. Neither can meet the total community need. Um, another problem we have is the lack of accurate data. And we have spent the last three years trying to accumulate data. And I have to say that other than what we've been able to get from the state, most of us is, is antidotal. And we have become well aware that a lot of things that happen in Route County never get reported to the state. And I do have some sympathy for that because if there is a way to call something other than suicide, um, you know, if it were my, my family, I would want them to call it something different also. So short of leaving a note or having somebody see it happen, um, we really don't have that much good information about what just what the statistics are as far as suicide and drug overdose and so forth. Um, the 2019 Northwest Colorado Community Health Assessment identified behavioral health as one of our primary needs. Since then, there has been very, very limited progress. And our guess is that when the results of the one that just closed a few days ago come out, we're gonna see exactly the same thing, that behavioral health is listed as a primary need here. Um, there are several things for which there was really no or very, very limited service here in the county. Um, one of them is a specific detox, particularly medical detox facility, um, specialty treatment for de de eating orders, uh, pediatric specialty care, uh, and in-person treatment, inpatient treatment center. From here, if someone needs inpatient treatment, they need to go to either Grand Junction or somewhere on the front range. 
And that makes it very complicated for families to be involved in the care, which is almost always recommended. Um, that behavioral health is generally, it's a family problem. It's not just the one person having a problem. I know just as an anecdotal, I had heard about a situation from um, one of the local teachers and you know, not using any names uh, about a situation of a 13 year old that had to be transported to Grand Junction. As it turned out, that was the third time the ambulance had arrived at the local junior high in that month. Um, the mother was in very ill health. The father was in very ill health. Um, it, 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 it was really an extremely tragic situation. As it happened, I eventually met the mother. That was strictly by accident and learned a lot more about the situation. And one of the big problems there is that they fall into the middle range. They are not poor enough to be accessing a lot of the services that might be available. And they have too much money and their insurance is not sufficient to cover the, uh, the whole need. So, I mean, they are the perfect, perfect family to fall into medical bankruptcy, um, which I think is probably the number one bankruptcy situation in this country. Um, the other thing, and it's a question about whether this should be the first or the last on the list is stigma. I do think that with all the problems that have occurred with COVID and everything that's been in the paper and the magazines and so on and so forth, we may be getting a bit of a break in terms of stigma because I don't know who you could possibly talk to that doesn't realize that stigma is a big barrier to people getting help. Okay, so now to the most important part, which will lead to what we're asking from you. Uh, I know I've talked to each of you individually, so you have some warning and uh, we, we gave you some paperwork ahead of time, but we're proposing something like a clearinghouse. We don't have a better name for it uh, to serve as a conductor for the services, the grant funding, all things mental health in Route County. We would do that in order to avoid duplication of services and to increase collaboration amongst the nonprofits. Um, we've continued to talk with established groups to find an incubator for this clearinghouse. One of the reasons we think we need that is because time is of the essence. Plus we are really, Nancy and I have been, we think pretty good at researching the problem talking to Summit County, Eagle County, Larimer County, um, pulling in all the help and advice we could get. However, we're really not professionals in this area. And the other thing too is, as, as Nancy likes to point out, we, we are neither one extremely young. We are both retired and so forth. The, the idea of starting a whole new system and carrying it through is, it's really, it's not for us to do. We feel like we have done all the groundwork and now we need to turn it over. Uh, we got this clearinghouse idea actually from Summit County. They have been very successful doing this. And 
one of the groups that has not been pulled in, we think sufficiently in this county, are the providers because they have a lot to offer and they have a lot to say. So we need to not only pull all the nonprofits, all the providers, all the places like the hospital, Mind Springs, Northwest, Cholera Health, Reto Health, and so forth together and get them on the same page. Um, we would consider this to be a coordinator, absolutely not a competitor. Can I interject right here, Linda? Yeah. I, I just want to say that um, we have spoken to all these people and this clearinghouse collaboration idea is, is not a new idea. I mean, we were, we're, uh, we're not coming up with something brilliant that no one else has ever thought of before. What, what we think that was in place and the partnerships that there are and the collaborations, the coalitions, the partnerships, they're good, but they're not, they're not working well enough. Um, they, 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 we have been a part of these uh, collaborative meetings and what happens is they, they get everybody's ideas, everyone's on the same page and then there's little to no follow-up. And uh, uh, that's what we want this to be is we, we, we want this to be a hook that pulls everyone in together. So everyone is aware of what everybody else is doing in a real time way that has an effect on people in need. Okay, I'll shut up. You can Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In in order to do that, the first thing we would do is create a steering committee. And we don't mean a board. Um, though it might look very similar. We need we mean a steering committee who will be involved in setting the strategy, setting the way forward and who will be like an active steering committee. We also need to come up with an executive director, somebody who will take the point, somebody who will work with all the nonprofits, go out into the community, so on and so forth. Um, and again, this needs to be an active role. We need to be very careful and we intend to be very careful that we don't get bogged down in administrative issues or in simply talking to one another. This has to be active. It has to accomplish something. And that's one of the reasons that we think we need an incubator because we need to be able to build something under the auspices of, of an already existing situation. Um, we definitely would work with um, a ton of collaborators. I have to say that we have been very, very fortunate all the way along in terms of the cooperation and attention we've gotten from um, the, the um, particularly the jail, the sheriff's office, so on and so forth. Um, all of those different groups around the area um, for whom behavioral health does present a big problem. Um, the other thing um, that we have done, the first thing we've got to do is get a list of all of those. But the other thing we've done, thanks to Beth, actually, uh, she hooked us up with the Colorado Health Institute, and we have had a great, great conversation with them, and we expect more. And the study that 
they are doing on Route County, and we are a pilot, and you probably have heard more about this from Beth, really, is they are looking at what is here, and then they will identify where the gaps are. Um, that could prove to be very important information for us. And they have been very, very generous in um, committing to talk to us further, to help helping us uh, figure out what to do about gaps, uh, so on and so forth. And they also are very experienced in helping groups like ours set strategy moving forward. So um, Beth, thank you very much for that. That has been a great contact for us. Um, the other thing that we've been doing and need to be able to continue to do is we have worked with a very experienced consultant who has been very generous to us in terms of giving us her time um, without being paid. As it turns out, this consultant has also worked with Larimer, Eagle, and um, Summit. Yeah, Summit County. And with and, the Colorado Health Institute. Yes, and definitely with the Colorado Health Institute. So um, the, we, we did talk about her with them. I would rather you know, not state the name publicly right now, but their attitude was, oh, thank goodness. That was who we hoped you were talking to. So that, that has all worked out very well. What we need to do is to be able to pay her for some amount of time. Um, to help us get through the rest of what we need to do. Um, in a nutshell, what we would want the centralized clearinghouse to do is to orchestrate the mental health and auxiliary services available in Route County to provide navigators who would work with clients on a one-to-one -one basis when they need something. It's really important that they have somebody to ask and that they not be handed simply a piece of paper that says, this is who you can call. We need to, to be able to have navigators that actually handhold through a process. We'd also like to be in a position to be able to monitor the grant applications that are going in that involve mental health care to avoid duplication and the other thing, and they've been very successful with this in Summit County because they feed grant applications through Building Hope, which is the name of their organization there. Um, and then what they do is when the grant, when they get a grant, generally the bulk of that grant will be appropriate to whoever applied for it, but there may be a piece of it that some other group nonprofit it already has underway, which is going well. So they get them all together so that they can make the very most possible out of the money. Um, the other thing we think really needs to happen, and we're calling it community connectedness, uh, connected, I'm having trouble with that word, sorry, uh, connectedness here, is we have a lot of transit people. And a lot of those people are working at very low income jobs. They are here to either work for the mountains, they're working in the restaurants, and it's a very disenfranchised community. It's also the community from which we see a lot of the suicides, a lot of the drug problems and so on and so forth. And 
we think that this part of our community deserves very special attention in trying to get them more connected and more comfortable and get them to understand that there are resources here for them. Um, it's not that locals tend to ignore this group so much as why should you make a good friend out of somebody that's just gonna leave in six months? So there is a, a special situation with that group that we would like to be able to look at. Okay, the reason for our push right now is because of a lot of money coming in. So Nancy. Yep. Um, okay, so our, uh, uh, again, our main focus is affordability, uh, finding care for people that they can't afford, ease of access, it's on a bus route, it's close to their house, they don't have to go to Grand Junction or to Fort Collins to get care, and stigma, ad addressing stigma. And again, as Linda said, the reason um, we wanted to meet with you all is because time is of the essence. There's a lot of money being allocated in the next year to behavioral health in Colorado. From President Biden's, um, what's the name of the act? Uh, I just lost track in my head. Uh, anyway, it has to do with the pandemic. Um, American um, Rescue Plan. Thank you. The American From the American Rescue Plan, you probably already know that Colorado has been allocated $450 million. Fortunately, we got this money. Unfortunately, we got this money because Colorado is 51st in the country with regards to serving its people with uh, for behavioral and mental health care needs. Per federal requirements, the funds must be obligated by December, 2024, and they have to be spent by 2026. There is 110 to 141 million for children, youth, families through youth and family residential care, community services, school and pediatric behavioral health care integrations. So 100 to 110 to 141 million. 65 to 75 million will be for increased adult inpatient and residential care. 35 million to integrate primary care with behavioral health. And I know UC Health is already working on this, um, but unfortunately they only allow, um, they only allow businesses to participate if they are a part of UC Health. If you are a separate doctor's office and you don't belong to the UC Health Consortium, then you're not part of this. Um, there's going to be 35 million to address uh, gaps in the continuum of care through local grants, through grants to local governments and community-based organizations. There's 65 million to ensure people aren't arrested and jailed for their behavioral health conditions by using diversion, early interventions and competency restoration. 80 million to expand and support the behavioral health workforce in Colorado, 42 to 50 million to invest um, in this navigation and coordination that we've been talking to you about. 
150 million set aside specifically for community projects like ours, 8 million allocated for beefing up the behavioral healthcare workforce in Colorado. And all these funds would contribute to the solution that we are proposing. When we have spoken with people down in Denver, they say, yep, you need to get all your ducks in a row because these grants, uh, we're gonna start putting out uh, calls for grants July 1st. Well, as we know that July 1st comes pretty quickly and we need to have a central place that can do that so that health partnerships knows what Northwest Colorado Health is doing, and they in turn know what MindSprings is doing, and MindSprings knows what REPS is doing, and REPS needs to know what the Sheriff's Office is doing. And right now, in the meetings that we have attended over the past three years, that is only happening on a very superficial level. And we feel that a centralized office is needed to coordinate all this money that will be available to us. And um, we met uh, the other, we were in a webinar the other way, the other day with Dr. I forget her first name, but her last name is Madlock. And she is the new uh, Medlock, her, she is the new executive director of the Colorado Behavioral Health Office, and she was wonderful, and, and she's uh, right now on tour around the state to collect information about who needs what, and we have invited her up here, and they said they're going to get us on her schedule, and when that happens, of course, we'll bring everybody together, but um, that's all I have to say about all that money that's available. Okay, now the important part, folks. This is what we want from you. First of all, we're coming to you as the Route County Commissioners as well as the Route County Board of Health. And we think it's important that you recognize be behavioral health as equally as important as physical health and that the deficiencies in behavioral health services that are identified in our community need addressing now. We would hope that you would issue some sort of a statement that confirms that Route County and the Board of Health commitment, um, that, that you definitely have a commitment to addressing the needs of behavioral health in the community. Second thing we want is we want your help in setting up this clearinghouse with a statement of support and also in assisting us in setting up some sort of a public-private partnership because we we feel we need to not go out and do this on our own so it is separate from everything else. We need to be able to work with particularly public health and probably human services also in terms of sharing data and in terms of information and in terms of identifying gaps. Um, and that would be more than simply having some of those people on our steering committee. We also, we'll be coming back to you to ask for an additional investment in incubating this flagship office. Uh, we'll combine that in investment with funds that we have discussed with local foundations. We're pretty sure grants are available. Um, there are various money sources that we can tap in order to get us started. And as part of that, we need the help investing in a consultant who can help us obtain the initial funding and hopefully funding into the future. 
and help us secure state and local funding for the clearinghouse. The consultants we've speaking, been speaking to was at one point um, head of the office, I believe it's head of the office of behavioral health with the state government. So not only does she know the, um, the sources within the government, she also has a very good handle on where grants and other, other funds might be available. Um, and that's it. That's what we're asking for. Okay, questions? And, well, yeah. I, I, also, I also just want to throw in here that we have spoken with um, United Way, the Community Health Foundation, the Craig Sheckman Foundation, and health partnerships, and all of those people, in addition to many others, but all of those people are significantly on board with us saying, yeah, we know we need this. And yeah, we know we have similar things here, but they just don't seem to be working very well. So I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, questions? Thank you. Um, yeah, let's just do some questions. So, <clears throat> What really is your ask here from us today? Uh, are you asking us to make a commitment? Are you asking us um, to be a partner? Really, what 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 are you looking from us for from us? You want to take that or shall I, Nancy? Go ahead. Okay. What we are asking, actually, we are asking you to be a commitment for a commitment, and we are also asking you to be a partner in this because we feel that we have to have a public partner, public-private partnership in order to move forward effectively. There are a lot of these funds that can only come through a government entity, plus the fact that we think you should have an influence when that happens, an influence and a say in what happens to them because you are the Board of Public Health. We would like you to help us find or secure in a flagship office. We would like you to allow us to run grant requests. We, we need to hire an executive director first and foremost to do this because as Linda said, you know, we're, we're, we're two old ladies beating the drum for a cause that came to us. Uh, we, we didn't go looking for this, but we have found a need. And, and, and I'll, I'll share with you a personal story. Um, I have a, a relative who has been in, here in Rock County who has been in and out of jail multiple times. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, he has been on M72 holds. He has been put in a behavioral health care center, but then the family couldn't afford it, so that couldn't continue. He has um, spent time in a jail cell and at the hospital emergency room. Uh, he is a substance abuser. He has severe mental health issues. When he was on the M72 hold, uh, somewhere on the front range. He was diagnosed as bipolar. He was incorrectly uh, given prescriptions and continued to get prescriptions that were 
uh, not conducive to helping a person with a bipolar diagnosis. The, those prescriptions were continued by a, a local psychiatrist. The psychiatrist was informed, um, but it, it was one of those tele, uh, uh, telehealth things. Um, and this person and his family continues to suffer because they don't know how to get, they, they do not know how to get help. Uh, and so we want to create a world where someone like this, let's say this person's name is Bob. Bob can call this one centralized number in Rock County and say, I need help. I don't know where to start. And you would always start here. And then you would be sent to Northwest Colorado Health or to Mind Springs or to Health Partnerships or to a, a private provider this the clearinghouse would also perhaps help you have a, a social worker who would help you find housing would help you find food would help you find a job um all, all kinds of things more on a social work level but what we need from the county we feel is we need to have a government connection or else there's a lot of funding that's not going to be available to us. We need to run grants through one office so that the right hand knows what the left hand is doing because we have found in Route County, oftentimes that is the case. And to no fault of their own, it's just, it's just how things are. There's no central place to get the behavioral health care thing done. There's a lot of good happening here, a lot of good happening here, a lot of good happening over here. And then in between all that, there are gaps and people aren't aware of the gaps because there's not a good communicative network, I, I think is the best way I can say it. And, and, and these people who work in these places, I mean, bless their hardworking people and hearts because these people work hard but it's not the best that we can do for route. So to answer your question, Commissioner Redman, I think what we want from the county is a place. We want uh, uh, some kind of written support that yes, you think this is a good idea. We want you to help us hire an executive director um, so that we can get this thing off the ground and Linda and I can take this off of our place. I'm a retired teacher. Linda's a retired media communications expert. Um, we're not professionals in this field at all. And, and we're only coming to you just as concerned citizens. I mean, we, we, we don't represent anybody except people who have come to us with all these issues and people who leave us in tears because they don't know where, what to do and where to go. And as many times as we have tried to help them, it, it, it ends up being, well, I called and called, they called me back three weeks later. And by then, uh, you know, I don't wanna talk to them anymore because I'm so angry at them because they never called me back in the first place. Or yes, I got an appointment, but it's nine weeks away. Uh, you know, these things that we read in the newspaper weeks and weeks ago, and I know many people disputed them, but all the issues uh, that came out in this behavioral health series, I forget what they called it, but the uh, steamboat pilot did it. All the people with whom we have spoken pretty much back up all those horror stories that were in the newspaper. 
um, it's hard to get help. It's hard to afford help. It's hard to have accessibility. And people are frustrated. And because of it, people are not getting the care they need. And worst of the worst, people are dying. Thanks for all that, Nancy. I think um, I think we're pretty clear on what the problem is. I think um, we have only about 15 minutes left, so I want to really focus on us understanding what our role in this solution you're proposing is. Um, did you have other questions, Commissioner Redmond? No. Okay. I, I did have a yep. question before you went there, <clears throat> and maybe my question is for you, Beth. Uh, <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, Linda, Nancy, for this is a lot of really good work and really appreciate the information you presented here. I think conceptually you've got some great ideas here. I know that I had asked you to provide us with a one pager. You guys pushed back pretty hard. <laughs> and I can see that a one pager probably could not possibly have covered the material that you presented here today. So uh, my question for you, Beth, um, mm -hmm. What's your understanding of the establishment of the new behavioral health administration and how would uh, that work factor into how we approach things here locally? Um, well, I won't try to get into the details of the BHA in general, but I, I think probably very little, quite frankly. I mean, there's already an office of behavioral health, which is under human services. And this is really just trying to streamline some things at the state level. I don't think it changes how, as a county, we might address it. That would be my initial read on that. And then my uh, uh, second question to that, will the, I guess it's what you said, it's not really creating an entirely new organization, but to the extent that it does, how will that affect some of these funding streams that these guys have presented? Yeah, most of the funding streams that they're talking about are from the stimulus bill and or ARPA dollars. I'm not sure how many of them are ARPA. I think they're mostly the state stimulus dollars. I could be getting that wrong. So I think, again, not. it doesn't really matter. The only thing is, recognizing as Nancy and Linda have recognized, these are short-term dollars that are meant to be utilized to try to, um, you know, be a catalyst for changes. Yes, exactly, Beth, thank you. Yes, yeah. that, that, that is the situation. Um, and what's the, uh, refresh my memory, what's the name of the organization at Summit County that you referred to that is building hope, building, building yeah. hope. That's right. I forgot that name. Okay, thank you. And, and to be honest with you, the the counties uh, with which we did our research, um, as you've seen and heard multiple times, were Eagle County, Larimer County, and Summit County. Eagle County, of course, is building a behavioral health care center with Vail Health, their hospital. Uh, Larimer County is building a behavioral health care center, uh, essentially with with their county. Um, and Summit County has done more bits and pieces similar to what we think we need to do. And when we were first introduced to the people at Building Hope, uh, and when they were talking about what they did and why they did it, truly, it, it, it seemed to be the perfect model for, for Rock County. Um, 
uh, and, and this consultant uh, that they had working with them as, as well as the consultant, as Linda said, worked in uh, Vail and in Eagle County and in Larimer County. Uh, this woman has said the same, that given all the pieces that we have out there, and Beth, I'd like your use of the word streamlined, this would streamline services for our citizens. We're not talking about replacing services. We're not talking about uh, being in any kind of competition. We're trying to figure out a way to streamline services for the people in need. Great, thank you. And then Sorry. one last question. Uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, it sounds like you have uh, moved your focus from uh, an inpatient treatment center. I know that that was a focus some time ago. Is that, I mean, I know it's not unimportant, but uh, am I assuming correctly that it's less important than uh, uh, finding a clearinghouse for providing just day-to-day -day services, not so much in inpatient treatment? I wouldn't say it's less important. What it is, is something that we may be able to build the case for down the road or the steering committee we're talking about. It would largely be up to them to see if they thought that was necessary and build the case down the road. What's more important is that we do what we can do now very quickly. Um, the bricks and mortar that we originally thought about is not going to solve the problems that we currently have. That's all the questions I have, Madam Chair. Thanks. Um, I have plenty of questions. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I have a whole lot. No, I know, it's okay. Well, I, I wanna get to sort of the how of all this. I mean, I think there's no question that what you've identified is a clear need. I also think there's no question that there's some role for the county in this. When I look at Building Hope and their list of stakeholders, it includes the faith community, it includes all of their municipalities, it includes several nonprofits in, in Summit County, as well as the county is just one of those stakeholders. And um, I guess what I wanna understand is really the how of what you're proposing. Are you asking us to determine the how? I mean, I heard you say hire an executive director. Who, who are you proposing hires that person. I mean, I think the county could, and probably quite frankly, pretty easily write a check in support of whatever it is you're doing, but a check to whom? And, and who are you proposing that this executive director be an employee of? Originally, the original job description that went out from Summit County was put out by the Summit County Department of Public Health. Over time, that changed so that Building Hope and the director of Building Hope and so on and so forth, they are now a separate entity. They were- But they, but they started out as an, a flagship office in what would be comparable to our integrated community because that particular office had space for them. So it was- convenience. Here's a room. You can have this room. You can use our phones and our photocopy machine. You can start here. Linda? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So just to clarify, this person was in Summit County was an employee of public health who worked in an office offsite? Yes. That was a nonprofit? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. 
the original um, job description was issued by Summit County Public Health. And was this person an employee of Summit County? Well, I don't think we can answer that exactly because what they did, they, some, someone that was part of, I believe, county government committed suicide in Summit County and it was a big shock to everyone. And the family started a foundation then to provide public health services. That, that foundation connected with the Summit County Foundation. Uh, they got money from those, they got money from the county, um, they got money from other foundation type sources to get Building Hope set up and to get them through their first three years, basically. They, Building Hope still gets some money from those sources. However, they are stable enough and ongoing enough and what they did in Summit County is they put together a bundled mill levy, which now uh, supplies Building Hope with uh, a pretty hefty budget. Uh, I realized that a mill levy in Summit County is a different from a mill levy in Route County, but they have managed to put together a funding source so that they are a very stable and ongoing organization. And it took them between two and three years to do that. And I think to answer your question, Beth, I think the seed money, I think the seed money in Route County, similar to what happened in Summit County, the seed money could come from the county, from the Craig Sheckman Foundation, from United Way, and from the Community Foundation. And, so and all of these people seem to be on board already with just with the concept. So I'm not asking questions about where the money comes from. I'm asking questions about where the money goes to and who manages that money. My, my gut feeling is that it would go to the Board of Public Health or, or to the Public Health Office. Linda? Yeah, that makes sense. That, that makes sense. Until they get on their feet. Okay, so considering all that, perhaps I should turn this over to our public health director to give us some context on her thoughts about this. Right, and I had um, the pleasure of meeting with Linda and she went over this plan with me as well. So I appreciate that time you took Linda to fill me in with this. And, you know, my biggest question too, not that it's I'm answering a question with a question, was, um, you know, a lot of this too, human services, their scope, it really kind of, you know, public health, um, behavioral health is certainly part of the entity when we look at overall well-being of our community, um, especially in our maternal child health, you know, those are some of the focus areas um, that we have. But when you look at that, um, that's not really direct services that we would provide. Um, it's more, um, you know, collecting data to understand the, pro uh, the problem, to feed to a lot of organizations, and probably work hand in hand with our um, human services department to better understand the scope and how we could um, look at that from a county level. Now, the health partnership, which is also in our county, is the ray for our county. 
And so the Ray is the regional accountable entities that work for Medicaid to make sure that Medicaid recipients are connected to both physical health providers and behavioral health providers. So they're already kind of in this referral case management purview. And um, I know I'm not. You're not. Okay. Kelly is on board. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that's why I think, you know, a lot of these entities too, public health also includes human services. And that's not how we're structured here. Um, you know, sometimes the public health director oversees human services as well. So that's, you know, when the job description said public health, it might be someone in there. I don't know. I'm just assuming because yeah. I don't know much about that. But um, yeah, so I think from that perspective, you know, maybe looking at the connection with human services. And I agree that there are a lot of nonprofits out there that need, you know, we need some herding of the cats a little bit to make sure we're not doing duplicate services. But I think that can be, you know, through some improved communication, um, you know, what that looks like. Maybe it is a coalition of sorts. Um, to increase that communication. But um, right now, we're just kind of looking at it in, from a public health perspective as a part of our community health assessment that we're doing to really understand what the, the data is um, that supports a lot of this. And can I ask what, if any, involvement you, and I don't know if you know about Kelly, have with the Rob County Health and Human Services Plan? because mental health is identified in that plan. I mean, it's HRC sort of owns that plan. And the idea is a lot of what we're talking about, right? Like stream pulling together mm -hmm. multiple entities to work toward these goals. And so what involvement do you all have in creating and implementing that plan? We, we have none okay. that I'm aware. When I, uh, excuse me, when I talked with Kelly uh, Kissling, when I met with her, her suggestion was that if we could manage to find a way to work a public-private partnership, then you, the county commissioners, would probably decide whether we fit better with human services or with public health. So let me just jump in here. I mean, building a home is not a governmental entity. It's a standalone. No, not now. Um, so I guess I'll just summarize my own feelings on this and see what you guys think. I am all in favor of what you're talking about conceptually. I think pulling together, you know, like Roberta used the, the phrase coalition, a steering committee of, of folks to work on this and all for the county providing some support for that. I don't think I can support the county taking it on, hiring staff, being responsible for accepting the funding for this and, and sort of making this work happen. I think we need to be a partner in it, but I just don't think, first of all, I don't think our public health department has the capacity to take this on right now. And regardless of whether we're hiring an employee or not, it would require oversight from the department and, and a lot of resources on the administrative side to make this happen. So um, I don't know where that, I don't know if you guys would agree or disagree with me. I don't know where that would leave us in terms of next steps. 
Um, but I, I guess I would think it would be continuing to try to figure out what the best way to make this happen is. And you said you'd like some statement of support. I don't think that's a problem. You know, supports for how to do this, pulling it together. I think we can be part of that conversation. I, I would not be able to support the county just sort of taking this on and hiring staff to do this work. So I would echo that. Um, I mean, even setting aside that our own capacity within the county, but also, you know, public health and human services are statutorily mandated services that the county provides. And my fear would be that put, uh, trying to shoehorn mental health in underneath one of them, they would not, uh, mental health would not receive the attention that it des deserves as a, a junior agency inside of a bigger agency. It deserves <clears throat> to be its own thing. And you guys are showing us uh, building hope in Summit County as an example. I, I tend to agree that that is the better model, having a standalone uh, nonprofit agency that could do this work. I'm just not sure how much value the county would really bring to the table in this effort. Well, if, 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 if I can say, if I think, if, if we can leave the meeting under knowing that you have our back, so to speak, and that you would support our coming up working with Roberta or Kelly or the commissioners or whoever to supply some sort of a chain, some sort of a link between the two so that when we come up with data, we can verify it with public health. When public health or human services come up with data, they can help us to understand it and help us to with suggestions to you know, fill in the gaps that we all find, then I think if we can get to that point that Nancy and I would consider this meeting to be a success. Right, Nancy? Yeah, I, I guess, I, 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 before I say yes, um, <laughs> I, I would just like to ask, if it were not to come under the county, under whom do you think it should become? I, I'm... I'm uh, uh, from what you're discussing, I'm getting the idea that you think we uh, uh, such a clearinghouse should be under the Department of Health and Human Services. Am I getting that right? No. Well, what you're hearing is we don't think it should be a county uh, operation at all. I think what you're hearing is that we're willing to provide support to an independent, freestanding, nonprofit organization in the model of building hope in Summit County or something along those lines. Okay. And, and, and under whom would we get started? Because we got we have to get started under somebody because uh, becoming a nonprofit is going to take us way past grant application deadlines because that takes months and months. So um, I want to just acknowledge that Commissioner Redmond has not weighed in. So I want to let him do that and then we can attempt to answer your question. Okay, yeah. thank you. You know, it, I, I tend to agree with my other fellow two commissioners. Um, we as government are as, not as nimble and as flexible as, say, a nonprofit or um, an independent organization. And we will be tied by certain procedures and laws, not only from within our own procedures, but by the state. Um, and Basically, I'm feeling that part of the problem is that these organizations haven't been able to be flexible and adaptable and meet the needs of the community as they change 
and they mourn. Um, but at the same time, I, I do understand that um, we're an established entity and that we have certain capacities that would be helpful to you. And I, I guess basically saying I, I'm happy to be your partner, um, but this isn't really what we do. And I don't know that we'd be the best to do. Yeah, sorry Thank about- you. So if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, we need to find a home, so to speak, and then we need to work out a way to partner with, with you in some manner. I think that's what you're hearing, Linda. And I think also, I think we could offer, we certainly would like to see public health and human services be involved in that conversation. Um, which is important. I think they're important partners in all of this. Excellent. Um, it's different than them owning this, having the fiscal responsibility for it, employing staff, et cetera. Good. I mean, that. I think that works. That, that makes sense. I think we need some follow-up conversations. Absolutely. Um, you, and if you if you all will let us know how we can continue to help and certainly working with um, county staff on that as well. Okay, and, and you certainly know how to find us. And remind yeah. Tim that when he said one page, page, I said five and we settled on three. <laughs> Compromise. We just ignore Tim, really. <laughs> Works for me. Um, I just I want to really thank you both for the and your whole team for the incredible amount of work that you put into all of this. And you may or may not have heard us at various times kind of dancing around this issue and what do we do and how do we do it and what does it look like? And you all have put in so many unpaid hours trying to help answer that question. And I know that we are very appreciative for that. And um, supportive of your work going forward. Thank you. Good. Thank, yeah. you. thank you for your time today. And thank you. I just want you to know though that I definitely understand and believe we need juvenile beds, we need mental health beds, and we need detox. Those, those are definite issues within our community that need to be addressed and um, resources that are not available to our citizens that need to be. So I wanna thank you also for keep beating the drum. Thank you. Boom, boom, here we go. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, thanks Roberta. Sure, thank you. So we have our next item at two o'clock. I'm a little confused about whether this is a general Northwest COG item, water quality, or both. It's all of the above. Okay, great. You, whoever needs to come up here, yep. come up here and tell me what we're gonna talk about. <laughs> All right. Um, and is Ashley from your team or no? Oh, she is. Yes, I did okay. not realize that she was doing it. 
Okay. I'll introduce you. Yeah, so if you all want to do introductions and let us know what the heck we're talking about today, that would be great. <laughs> okay, well, I'll kick us off. Um, I've been talking to Tori for some time, and this is the first time any of us have met in person, so nice <laughs> to meet you. Um, and originally, Tori wanted to um, talk about the Northwest Colorado Council of Governments Water Quality and Quantity Committee, and it kind of morphed into a larger conversation talking about Northwest Colorado Council of Governments. And we have John Stabney here, who's the executive director, and then Aaron Fisher, who I wrote this down because I couldn't remember, the director of the Vintage Program. And so we have some presentations um, just talking about information about this organization. And so with that, I guess I'll have to take it away. Sure, and I'll, I'll briefly introduce myself to and Ashley just so you know, and then turn it over to John first, but my name is Tori Jarvis. I am the director and staff attorney to the Water Quality Quantity Committee, which, you know, I'll definitely tell you more about is a separate kind of membership dues organization than Northwest Cox. So that's why, that's part of why it's a little confusing. Um, and then Ashley is the water quality specialist to QQ. Um, both of us are consultants for the Water Quality Quantity Committee, QQ. Um, and we thought we would start with John, start with the umbrella organization, and move down from there. So, yeah, part of the confusion may be that uh, Mr. Corey and I, by the way, uh, John Stabbing, Northwest Cod, great to be here. Thanks for uh, attending your first meeting recently, right in January. Yes, it's already March. Tomorrow, <laughs> I can't believe it. It's amazing. <laughs> Tomorrow will be March. Yes. He had great things to say about the meeting. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, uh, I've been meaning to come up and, and welcome you to COG, um, and uh, thank you for all your efforts in, in, in doing that and changing regions. It was kind of important for me to be a little bit at arm's length. That was your choice and your, your, your work in doing that, so I'm very excited about that. But thank you and welcome to COG. Welcome, um, Andrew Harrington. Good to see you, Jeff. Welcome to <laughs> so very excited. Um, so I didn't know if... Uh, no, don't, don't even mention how is that right? Are they in the packet or they're in the packet? Any chance you can pop those up or uh, if you guys have them on your screens, I'm okay. I don't need to either way. And I'm not going to do a thing. We yeah. have our adoring fans from the public here. So well, that would be useful to them maybe more than you yeah. in that case. So um, can you, is that all right, Jen? Um, we have a lot of documents though. So you're I'll bet you do. I'll you bet you have big fat packets. No, 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 I mean so, for this item. So I think the one that we want is the yeah. NWCC OG route intro. Yeah, that's that would be the first one. So that would well, be the last one. Yeah. The, last so, one <laughs> the conversation started uh, with QQ and talking about wanting to introduce you to that. And um, and then we also recognize that many of the constituents, uh, probably the most vocal in some ways uh, in this transition, were those who are concerned about the transition for, we'll just say, aging services in a general way. And Aaron, correct me if I don't. Yeah, that's fine. So we thought we'd all come up. And so uh, I'll just go ahead and, and start with um, COG. Uh, is has been around, COGS have been around since the early 70s, uh, planning regions. Um, I'm not going to go into the history of it, but they're kind of a quirky thing. We, a lot of people think we're a nonprofit. We actually do have a foundation that our membership utilizes, which sort of makes us a nonprofit. Um, technically, we are a local government, although I don't emphasize that with a lot of people because it sounds like a little layer of, of government, which no one seems to like. But COGS exists because the membership in the region finds a use for them. 
And so I want to emphasize that some of our programs like QQ, weatherization, which is now called energy, have been around since the early 70s and, and have been long-standing programs. But thank you so much. You can go to the next slide if you don't mind. So the thing I want to emphasize here, which is not true of all councils of government, um, you know, because one of the things we do is manage federal grants, we can get very much into sort of into the weeds of focused on those and that being our work. Um, my focus uh, in the five years I've been um, executive director at COD though is to, to really focus on this part about being responsive. So um, we have done reports. Um, I think you heard uh, Commissioner Edmund about behavioral health at our last right. lengthy discussion. Hopefully that was useful and informative to have the representative from Eagle County that runs their behavioral health uh, uh, program. And I'm not going to get into that. I wanted to pop into that conversation. It's a great, important topic. Um, but we brought that forth because, you know, here to the ground, it's a conversation happening in multiple places. It's, it's uh, uh, being addressed locally, but we think that some of the sharing of information across county jurisdictions and between elected such as yourself and others is really valuable, right? So, um, you know, at that meeting we brought in for, for about an hour, Sarah Vane, who is the assistant county manager in Summit to talk about what Summit's doing. The, the kind of key thing I need to hear in that last discussion was they went to the voters. It was mentioned once, and that's really the funding, the $2 million a year coming to that. And that was, to put it to the voters, had to come from the county. And they did have some personnel that did some leadership, but it's a committee, a citizen's committee. And so those kind of ideas are things that I, I want to emphasize sometimes originate in these regional conversations. Um, so behavioral health, um, I don't know if any of you uh, were at John Bristol's presentation at the EDC on Wednesday last week. Um, he talked about the mountain migration report that we put out. And, um, and I know there's a group, uh, Commissioner Corrigan was talking about uh, you know, senior housing that came out of another report. So um, we try to be responsive. Next slide, please. Um, so, and, and this really is just to emphasize this slide about stepping up and stepping back that, um, we have things that we have done in the last few years, the broadband program, the, the healthcare coalition, which uh, provides funding for um, emergency responsiveness for, for hospitals uh, and beneficial electrification program, a really innovative thing going on with the uh, Eagle County partnership. Um, but we also step back from things that either have another place that they end up really needing to belong. Uh, and so we're not just about just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and creating some kind of empire. So I want to emphasize that we're responsive. Sometimes being responsive is going, that's not really ours anymore. That belongs somewhere else. I said a coalition is a good example of that. It really grew out of COG and then it had its own executive director. It's by out. Go ahead the next slide. So this is, this is our org chart. Um, and I think that what I want to emphasize here, obviously I don't want to read through all this, but you know, we have, our council directs me and the executive director, but there are these different committees that advised for specific um, places. And, and oddly enough, QQ was originally joined the HIPAA card. Um, QQ since the beginning has set aside money for legal, um, there's a million dollars in the war chest, right? Or something like Ooh, that. It's only a hundred thousand. Oh, hundred thousand. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to intimidate whoever yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the other slope that's listening. 
Um, and, and at one point, somebody at QQ was like, well, we wouldn't want the COD Council to maybe reallocate that money for something else. So they sort of were separate, but under the same umbrella. So Tori and I are both executive directors, just to really confuse the, the matter. Aaron is a program director, and we have a number of program directors. So I guess that's all I really want to emphasize that there is in the yellow are all the different programs, energy, elevator inspections, all hazards, the agency on aging, really, which is vintage, um, in a way those could be reversed, right? There's RTCC, which is transportation, you could put it either way. The loan fund, um, I, um, uh, if we've done, I don't know how many, seven or eight different loans in uh, a couple in Hayden and in Estimo too. Yeah, and I try to not just blurt them out because some of them, some owners don't like to have it known that they get loans, but uh, quite a few names that you would recognize. And then I'll talk a little bit about regional business and we do economic development district as well. And then water quality and quantity. Next slide. So there's a lot going on. It's kind of intimidating as an executive director. Uh, I don't expect to be an expert in all these things, but one thing that I'm really proud of is the expertise of some specific um, program directors or coordinators that really, really have a heightened level of expertise about a very narrow grant program, um, you know, and work with different departments at the state or the um, uh, federal level uh, for specific funding streams. So one thing I'm conscious of is not just chasing funding because it's there, but chasing funding because our membership says, yeah, that would be useful. And it makes sense to pursue it. And we can, we can do it in a sustainable way. Go ahead to the next slide. So this is a little bit about what COD does. Um, and then under member services, which is sort of a catch-all, um, which is really when you see member services, that's sort of like me, that's what the executive director spends a lot of time doing. Um, managing the foundation, which hasn't been all that active right now, but for instance, Eagle County uh, has um, a regional trail um, that they're kind of like yours along the river, right, along the Yampa that they're trying to now get some private funding for. So um, mostly that has been through its own mill levy over the years. And they said, no, we want some businesses and individuals to be able to give. So they're utilizing, they basically would give the money to our foundation and we take a little bit for our administration of it. And then that goes back out and we give tax benefit to those individuals that if they just wrote a check to say Ralph County, they wouldn't get any tax benefit from. So that's what the foundation is. I uh, spend a lot of effort on the, the monthly newsletters and trying to talk about relevant things and, and uh, economic development bulletins. That's Rachel. Um, manage a couple of different grants uh, and then stand up some different programs. Uh, interestingly, there's been a lot of talk about shared services over the years, about doing services that, for instance, Oak Creek couldn't afford just to use a smaller jurisdiction or Hayden, right? Um, so for Fraser and Winter Park, we provide GIS services. Basically, it's a pass-through. We have a consultant who used to live in um, Summit County who now lives in Iowa, and she continues to do that. But uh, we've talked about that with HR and a variety of different things. But um, anyhow, we're, we're open to the idea. And then I do facilitations uh, or find people to do facilitations and like official trainings and have helped out with manage search processes, which you guys just after what, two years of successfully taking care of and hopefully won't have to do for a long time again. Um, We're keeping them out through the end of the year. Through the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. You committed that part. <laughs> so if you do want to sort of explore our different, you know, one place to go in member services is to an interactive service map that we have that shows, it's kind of confusing, different programs over the years 
grown into different counties and, and whatnot. So I can't say Aaron's is six counties, right? I know that. How many counties do you cover? 12 maybe? It's a, not that many. Oh, Oh, you have more than five. Well, I guess we have members in Garfield, members yeah. here in Rockford. Gunnison, Park, right? So anyhow, um, and I'm not going to take you to the website, but uh, next, please, um, if if you do want to peruse uh, some some places to look, would be under research and reports, and you see some of those reports that we talked about, and those are PDF and, and open. Some of our peer organizations, when they do reports. Um, most of these are funded by member dues and grant funds, usually from DOLA. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if they're useful to anybody, they can use, they can tap into it utilize them. We're not trying to like protect those. Um, but uh, we have, have done, I'm pretty proud of some of the reports that we've put out. Um, and then uh, if you're looking for council information, any of you are welcome to read the packets. And I, I understand you drew straws for who didn't have to go to college. No, no, it's the other way around, right? You drew straws. You wanted it. Or which one have you got to go to college meetings? Um, but you're more than welcome if you see something on the agenda for any of you or all of you uh, to, to do that. And it's with a virtual, probably doing virtual blended meetings for a long, long time. I don't know about your, your need for um, notice uh, about multiple people at a meeting or anything like that. But if you see, say, for instance, behavior health and you want to tap into it, so feel free. Uh, and then our communications get sent for newsletters. So the last thing, next please, um, that I just wanted to show um, is that we're, you know, I tend to emphasize the, the touchy-feely kind of soft side of what we do. We deliver value because we do regional sharing and I, I try to help, you know, routes, I hear they're working on something and they're like, oh, some kind of just did this. Why don't you talk to this person? A lot of sort of connecting the dots and, and, and writing things. And, and I, that's what I really enjoy is facilitations and all that. But, you know, for the nuts and bolts people, um, bottom line, we're managing about $9 million worth of um, programs and grants that really get delivered into services uh, around the, the, the different counties we serve and the member jurisdiction. So we're, we're the real deal in terms of uh, an organization that, that uh, and that's probably a good place for me to stop and hand off to, um, you know, so these are our programs here. Vintage, we used to call it Area Agency on Aging. Um, and, you know, so their, their budget in 2022 here was about $1.4, $1.5 million. Um, last year, I believe it was higher because of a lot of COVID monies that went through, but, you know, um, but just know that just like the county, a lot of that is people, right? So you can see a significant portion of her budget is salaries, benefits, uh, and whatnot. So um, anyhow, I'm not going to obviously go through the details of that, but I think it's important to see that we... Uh, we do numbers too. Any and important, important to point out what you don't do is you're not a lobbying agency. We are, we are not primarily a lobbying agency. Um, and if enough of our membership feels strongly um, about a regional issue, for instance, a lot of forest service issues, I know you're in a different national forest than us, we will step forward and, and make a position. Um, Tory with QQ and the water division is she is a registered lobbyist and that is a reason they exist so that is a little difference between QQ and, and COG but you're right I uh, have a lot of other things to personally to do that I feel are delivering value that aren't about ch chasing legislation or tracking legislation or necessarily impacting legislation and counties have at least two big organizations right that do that and they do that well and cities municipalities 
have you know CML, which I think does that well. So we also try to not, you know, do do over what's been done well somewhere else. So delivering services, one of the really hands-on things that we're going to be transitioning to in Route County is vintage. So if you don't if you don't mind finding the, the next PowerPoint, which is on vintage, did you have that or Oh. Uh, probably Route County DOCC presentation. <laughs> so it's the third one from the bottom. So welcome to COD. Thank you uh, yeah. very much. And we're delighted. And I just in, in, in the little closing part of, of my part of this, COD is only as valuable as what our members put into it. And so, you know, as much as you're seeing something and going, hey, maybe this is something COD can take up, I'll bounce it off the membership and, and, and if we can, we will. If I don't think it's a strength of ours or we don't have the capacity or the, you know, a way to angle into that, um, you know, we, we won't take it off. But uh, so please, if you like, hey, I think this would be a good thing for COD, feel free to, you know, shoot me an email or give a call or whatnot. So, um, there we go, vintage yarn. And I've got to work with some really fantastic people, two of whom you get to meet today. I'm Erin Fisher. I'm the director of Vintage. We are the area agency on aging that serves Region 12, which is inclusive of Eagle Grant, Jackson, Pitkin, Summit, and July 1st route. We changed our name from the Alpine Area Agency on Aging a couple of years ago because I just saw people's eyes glaze over when I said, I'm Erin Fisher with the Northwest Colorado Council of Governments. I'm the director of the Alpine Area Agency on Aging. People already shut down and they're like, what? So in an effort to um, be more business focused and have a uh, really comprehensive marketing campaign, that was one of the things we changed in Renault Vintage. You can go to the next slide, please. So this is our team. There are five of us, and that's probably one of the biggest differences with the Area Agency on Aging moving to Region 12 and being under us is that we have internal services and I have staff. You go to the next slide, please. This is a big list. This is just, I wanted to give you an idea of what we're doing internally and the people on the team who are in charge of it. Next slide. So this is also what we contract out. So we are about 50-50 what we're doing internally and these are all of our contracted providers. This is as of right now, I just have my RFP close for new contracts beginning July 1st, which leads me kind of into what this transition looks like and who is currently contracted with Region 11 Area Agency on Aging and what that transition looks like potentially starting July 1st. Now, can you just talk about the county agencies that are contracted with you and what that means? And what's yeah, can you go back one slide? That's good because the behavioral health conversation made me think about this. Different counties say like, well, that's my cheese, that's our business, that's not, and, and, and take on different roles with things. So, I mean, there's no right answer. It's one of the great things in Colorado about sort of local, you know, local control um, but it, it is interesting that we have this is a great example of in some counties it's directly with a county um, you know department if you will that Aaron's group is contracting for meals in Eagle County for instance to the to the conversation with senior housing and senior center 
Eagle County and Eagle County Housing built and manages the, the senior center. When I was commissioner in Eagle County, we built, we no longer are part of that, but built the uh, continuum care facility. In Route County, you have a group that does that. So um, anyhow, if you want to ask that specifically to yours, which are county things, but it is different in each place. Uh, predominantly our counties, Eagle County Public Health, Pitkin County Senior Services are nutrition. And those also happen to be some of our largest contracts because of how expensive it is to run a congregate and home delivered meal program. Here it's the Route County Council on Aging that runs that. But um, yeah, because we were talking, I did hear case management mentioned earlier as it pertains to behavioral health. So Eagle County Human Services, we currently have a contract with them for case management, as well as Summit County and Picking County Adult and Family Services. And then um, Grand County Rural Health Network, and I know they sit on the board with the Ray here because I was I've been doing all of this research trying to figure out who did case management for older adults in Route County, and um, Grand County Rural Health Network does case management for us for Grand and Jackson. Okay, thanks. So this is kind of the glimpse of what it looks like right now and then what I anticipate the transition to look like beginning July 1st. So like I said, we just had RFPs close for new contracts beginning July 1st for two years. Currently in Region 11, Northwest Colorado Options for Long-Term Care has a contract for those five services and it's provided with Garfield County. This was one of the ones, and I know we've had this conversation last year about what does that look like? Because we provide a lot of those services internally. So are we going to try to absorb those? Do we have the capacity? Um, and I've got a great relationship with Northwest Colorado Options for Long-Term Care. So I just kind of called them before the RFP opened and I said, hey, let's talk about this. You know, you know that we provide a lot of these internally, but our relationship with you is really important. What do you think? And they decided not to submit a proposal and our intention is to um, absorb those services internally through Vintage. So uh, for instance, those five services that are listed there, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's every chance that some of the individuals that are contracted through Garfield County will just simply, you'll contract with the same groups of people. Well, let me back. So this is the current uh, provider that is doing this work, doing these, these bits of work, right? These scopes of work are being done by this currently in Rob County through, um, is it Mesa County, right? And, yes. You know. So Garfield County is providing it through Mesa County to Route County residents. And that's okay. right, we can find out that. <laughs> 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 to make sure that yeah. that's what's but happening. But the people on the that are doing the work the actual work, they work might be the same now. people that you would ultimately contract with. No. Yeah, they're going to finish that one. So it's one person, Nancy McStay. She is the person of Northwest Colorado Options for Long-Term Care, and she's awesome. She does an excellent job. And um, she, I, in, she lives in... That's okay. Sorry. So she's a subcontractor to Garfield County. She's a Garfield County employee. She's a Garfield County employee. Yes. Okay. And we are not contracting with her or with Garfield County. 
we provide caregiver services and we're just going to continue providing caregiver services to Route County caregivers and uh, just through our services. So we are receiving the federal and state money for senior services for Route County. So we'll still be able to provide those services. So prior to that, that was being done through the Marriott Agency on the agent. Receiving those through funds. a contract with Northwest okay. Colorado Options for Long Term Care. Yep. Next slide, please. Northwest well, Colorado Respond Action. <laughs> well, so, so Aaron's just listing a handful of things. Yeah, no, so you understand how they're being done right now or have been done for Route County and then how they will be done. That's that's I tried to do 30 level 30,000 foot level at this hope well, I can get into whatever you want to get into. Um, so okay, if, if I can I'm sorry to interrupt frankly but my uh, feeling on this was uh, guided by April Sigmund at the Rock County Council on the Aging basically she expressed a very low level of concern about the switch that she was pretty sure that the services to our community members would remain at least as good as what they were. Sure, I understand that because her, her whole focus is serving the older adults yeah. caregivers in the community. So that's and but that's exactly what my my main focus is and my charge from the federal and state powers that be. So um, so there's a current contract with Northwest Colorado Health for evidence-based health promotion classes. I think like fall prevention kind of things and Tai Chi for arthritis and screenings. This had a kind of a weird thing that didn't have anything to do with the transition in that Northwest Colorado Health recently acquired the Haven and that created a conflict of interest because of our long-term care ombudsman program. And so we cannot have a contract with a provider that also owns a long-term care facility. So um, they did, Northwest Colorado Health did not submit a proposal for our RFP. And what I think is happening is that they had a conversation with Route County Council on Aging and asked them to take over the evidence-based health promotion classes. So I've got a conversation this week with the state long-term care ombudsman program to make sure that that would clear up any conflict of interest by kind of having that second intermediate party but we are hopeful that we can get those evidence-based health promotion classes. Um, just gotta figure out the conflict of interest issue. Next slide. The Senior Social Center, which is in Craig, has a contract to provide SHIP Medicare counseling in Route County. Had another long conversation with them, and I have a full-time staff person who is a SHIP coordinator for our entire region and runs all the volunteers and, and does all of those things, especially during open enrollment with Medicare. And we came to the conclusion that we are also going to absorb this internally. This one is a little bit off. I know that generally we're starting on July 1st, but because the ship contract is actually through Dora and their fiscal year starts April 1st, we're actually going to take over the Medicare ship program on April 1st. Everything else should roll out July 1st. Next slide. Rock County Council on Aging, um, they're currently providing transportation, congregate home delivered meals. They're doing an awesome job with it. They have three meal sites. 
Um, they did submit a proposal and we are meeting in two weeks with the grant review committee to give them our recommendations about continued funding beginning July 1st. So I, without having had that, I don't see any reason why we would not continue contracting with Route County Health. So, so to, to sort of like break it down, right? The first three are, are things that are responsibilities of any agency on aging that were contracted out through whatever Byzantine you know process that Aaron's people are basically gonna gonna provide those services. And and when we talk about contracting here, um, with the region, there are monies that come in for transportation, for meals. Congregate just means that they happen in one place, like there's a, a senior center that provides meals and then you know home delivered, right? Uh, obvious enough. So mainly what role Vintage has in that is passing through monies to the entity that's providing those, but also making sure they're spent correctly on behalf of, of the, the federal government. So a little bit of oversight and a little bit of just Here's some money, making sure it's getting done. That's an effective way to do that. And with the nutrition program, there's a whole lot of oversight. It's definitely our, um, our broccoli, not carrots. Yeah, yeah. And how what's the percentage of B12 in that pile of carrots? So yeah, it, there's a lot of oversight with specifically nutrition. I, it doesn't seem likely that there would be a lot of competing respondents to the RFP. There was not. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to RFP, and that's part of the process. So if somebody wanted to, yeah. Right. I have another question. I think historically, like way back, none of us were here, I don't think, but uh, maybe Tim was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this congregate meals and the reimbursement rate were sort of the impetus for Route County to Could move be. to Region 11. And I just want to make sure that I ask the question. None of those. Uh, they're getting reimbursed at the same rate they've been being reimbursed for these meals, right? That issue has not reemerged. I know that's the question that's been brought up because there are people that remember that whole thing. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand the question. So, I used to hold that my predecessor yeah. in uh, District Number One uh, was very unhappy about the delivery of services by and it has that your agency as it was structured at that time. And actually, engineered a move out of right twelve to eleven. Right yeah. for that reason, and it had something to do with the amount of money that was being reimbursed per meal, or something in that general area. Oh, um, I don't know anything okay. about that. Great, but I can tell you the. Actually, it's Heather's region, region 11, and our region are one of the few regions where we don't reimburse at a per unit rate. So I'm not saying you get $7 a meal, no matter what, we don't care. Um, you do have to submit a detailed budget in the RFP and you say, here are all of our expenses and we um, find what's the reasonable reimbursement rate. We know inflation, we know all the cost of raw foods has gone up. Um, we know it's a lot more expensive to provide home delivered meals in a rural area because you have to drive a lot farther. So we just kind of look at, all right, what is a reasonable rate and we reimburse based on your expenses and monthly what it is that you tell me you spent. So 
don't think that's a problem. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I mean, if you come back to the second slide, flexible, responsive, yeah. you know, so to talk to us about what the challenges are and we'll work on that. We're not a my way or the highway kind of uh, yeah. group. So well, what I would tell you is that the one person I think that's still around that remembers this is Catherine Lincoln. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you haven't heard that name, I'm sure you will, because I think she <laughs> communicates a lot with Heather. Okay. Um she was the county's social services director for some period of time and is on whatever kind of regional council governance. She's the one who has brought up this concern multiple times. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now cool. we all know it's out there. The right. concern is out there. <laughs> um, next slide, please. This one was the easiest one. So Heather already contracts with Colorado Legal Services for legal assistance. We already do. They just added route when they submitted their proposal. I was like, oh, go on. Um, next slide, please. Um, there is an ombudsman who lives in Route County who is currently contracting with Region 11 for those long-term services. She does a great job. She's well-respected in the community. We don't have any reason to, to change that. She will just have our support um, for ombudsman activities. We plan on contracting with her. And Excuse then- me. Didn't you say there was a conflict of interest though? With a provider. So, oh, okay. Yeah. That, it, yeah, that was a little confusing too. So uh, I don't know if you want to go all the way back and through that. The ombudsman's job, is, it's, a, it's a state program. If uh, myself or family member is in senior care of some assisted living or blah, 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 a number of different levels, right? We have an issue with the care. We can go to the ombudsman and say, would you help us with this issue? Or I want to report this issue. I want this issue dealt with. If they haven't been able to go through, you know, um, Casey's Pond, for instance, or whatever, right? So that'd probably be the main one with you guys um, up here, right? So it's it's a long story. Probably don't want to do right now about okay. why the entity that was providing that can't also I just can't there, I cannot, there cannot be um, any kind of financial benefit for an entity that owns a, a long-term care facility that our ombudsman program um, oversees. So, yeah, and, and Region 11 currently has that problem right now because, but they're getting that figured out, but it just happened a couple months ago, so. All right, because hey, I do know that ombudsman and you're right, she is well-respected in the community. Yeah, yeah, and she wanted to continue doing it. We met with her and so said, great, you do a good job and we'll just contract with you. And then she'll have, I'm an ombudsman and then Tina on our team is ombudsman, so she'll have our support. And then we have a contract with HICPUF or Low Income Senior Dental Program. We just wrote to include route with that program. So providing financial, basically a, a pass-through to provide financial support for eligible older adults for dental needs. That's our RFP timeline. The next one is what I just mentioned with March 11th. That's when our RAC grant review committee, and that's probably the committee that you were talking about with that person who sits and knows all of the history from the 90s. Um, so new contracts begin July 1st. Next slide. These are all of the things kind of on the plate or bubbling right now outside of very specific contracts. So I'm really looking forward to working with Route County Public Health and Human Services, even though we don't have a contract with them, just like how I work with public health, social services, human services in the rest of the region. 
Um, we're going to have training for the new route county providers. We're going to have older adults and potentially providers sit on our rack and represent Rock County. We're going to update our website, all of our marketing materials. And then I know we've got training for our providers. And then the other side is getting out to the community and providing, um, hey, guys, here's who we are. Here's our services. Here's how you can get in touch with us, depending on what you need, to the older adults and caregivers in Rock County. And then we also, I really miss being able to go out in person and do um, big presentations and trainings, which are some examples of what we've done in the past in the region to Route County as well. And the last slide is contact information. And I just wanted to say, so that's our website, yourvintage.org. We have a really awesome quarterly e-magazine and um, that is what that is called Momentum. And then we have a Facebook page as well. So uh, in the transition between, you can go ahead and switch to Tori's. Um, we know you have a lot of constituents who uh, have an interest in this, utilizing services. And some of these services, um, if you did health and human services, I didn't quite understand, you do public health but not health and human services, is that right? At, at Rock County? They're not a, it's not a combined. They're, yeah, they're separate departments. Right. Um, some of those things, would be required through health and human services, but there's sort of these narrow little things that we do at a regional level. And they, again, critical mass makes more sense to take care of them that way. <laughs> and little bits and pieces that fit a bunch of different HHS places. So water is what brought us here. So we need to get, get to water. Um, Tori. Yeah, all right. Thanks, hi everybody. Yes, that is what started the conversation. Um, kind of a lot. I feel like that's, this is a lot to tackle, like some of the deepest issues in front of us, but um, water is definitely one of them. And as John said, um, Northwest COG has been, had a, a water quality and quantity committee working on all things water related to the headwaters kind of region of the, um, of the state um, since the 1970s. So 40 years plus a group of elected officials have been together. So um, we're really excited to be talking to you all about, um, you know, just introducing you to QQ again. I think um, we've run across at least like Commissioner Corrigan in the past, and um, we certainly overlapped and not just kind of ignored Route County as we talk about the headwaters of the Western Slope, because it's kind of impossible not to. So we've overlapped for sure, but um, it's exciting to kind of talk to you all again, and um, we'll let you, you all know that like, I, I think we are viewing this as kind of the first conversation about if you're interested in membership in the future, um, I can come back, I can jump on Zoom, um, get more specific, but this is kind of just the, the first conversation. I fully recognize that. And um, our leadership, QQ, because it is a, a subcommittee of Northwest COG, does have its own leadership. Um, we can go to the next slide and look at those different, it's a little different membership as well. Um, but our leadership are county commissioners, so they couldn't come and say hi to you today. But um, Cappy Chandler Henry in Eagle County is our chair, and Chris Manguso in Graham County is our vice chair. And they're, they both wanted me to express our, their excitement as well um, in just continuing these conversations. So um, awesome. All right. So I'm just really starting with an introduction of who QQ is, the Water Quality Quantity Committee, QQ, who they are, and um, what kind of work that they do. Um, so based on that map, you can see that the membership's a little different than Northwest COG. Um, we have 40 local governments um, who are members um, because we extend beyond Grand Summit, Eagle, Pitkin, um, extend down to Gunnison County, Crested Butte, the Upper Gunnison Water Conservancy District's a member. You can see Steamboat and Yampa, 
um, are also members, Carbondale and Garfield County. Um, and then we also have water and sanitation districts. So especially for smaller water and sanitation districts, like in unincorporated counties, um, you'll hear a lot of services we provide that for smaller jurisdictions that just don't have capacity to, to participate like administratively before the Water Quality Control Commission. And so those water and sanitation districts, this is a really important service for a lot of really small um, organizations to know what's going on around the state and have their voice kind of heard at the state as well. Um, and so a few other important things on this slide is QQ has always been a consensus driven organization, um, a lot like Northwest COG in that way, I think that carries forward. Um, but since we do a lot more policy taking positions on bills, um, that sort of thing, that consensus is really important. So that's, I think, part of why this group of elected officials have been together for 40 years. We don't take positions on 41 or 51% of our members. If somebody has a problem, we'll pull back, we'll be neutral, we'll make sure we address it, we'll do whatever we need to do there. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about how we operate as a committee later too, but we can go to the next slide. Awesome. All right, so um, I also included kind of a two-page um, summary for you all. So you probably have more materials than you could ever want, but there's a little bit more information in that, like in paragraph form about our work. And then you have a PowerPoint that's that's a lot shorter, but um, the kind of work that we do. So um, QQ is um, administered by a team of three consultants and we do sub, sub subcontracting if we need. Kind of want to talk to you about GIS stuff or, you know, we do some sub consulting too, but we have a a three-person consultant team. And the scope of work for the work that QQ does is really broad. Basically anything that has to do with water quality and quantity that affects the headwaters region of the state we can work on. And so it's like a six page scope of work that kind of covers everything. Um, but really the, the point of that is to be purposefully nimble. I think we use that word a lot. Um, we, we don't commit ourselves to a lot of like day to day, like we will put out a newsletter every month, we will um, put out a memo every month, something like that, because um, the way the water world works, which I'm sure you all know, but you, it's really unpredictable when something's going to take up 40 hours of staff time in a month on one issue. Um, one example is in 2014, the governor announced that the state was writing its first ever water plan didn't know that was coming, didn't build that into our scope of work that this huge statewide plan was happening. Um, but our scope of work allows us to really dig into specific issues. Um, the Water Quality Control Commission is another example of that. Like when the state is setting standards, they have a calendar of what standards are coming up when. So some of that's predictable, but you never know what's going to be proposed and what kind of impacts that might have for our headwaters region. And so, um, uh, the, the almost decade that I've worked for QQ, I, I've really seen that be a value to this organization to be purposefully nimble and be able to really dig in time and resources where it needs to happen. Um, and so this, this four areas is really just an attempt to kind of categorize some of where we work. Um, at year to year, it's going to be different categories for sure. But um, we do always um, provide legislative monitoring this time of year, um, at least every two weeks. So you're, you do end up hearing from us consultants a lot more this time of year. Um, otherwise, we're really only getting in touch with you when there's an issue. So like I said, if you're getting an email from me, it's because there's something we think is worth you knowing about. Um, so, but this time of year, we do legislative monitoring, we recommend positions. Um, anytime, like if a member emails us immediately, we'll change our position and, and address what's going on there. Um, any, any bills that have to do with um, QQ's policies, 
Um, I didn't include the policies. They're linked in that two-page um, summary document if you want to check those out too. Um, they're always based on our policies. All things water, you could kind of imagine we would track those. Um, the other thing that QQ really focuses on um, in large part because of um, our recreation and tourism economy and also because of the impact of Trans Mountain diversions to um, our area of the state, especially Grand Summit, Pitkin, Eagle. Um, but one of the things we really pay attention to is local authority to regulate on environmental issues. And I think that's a pretty niche issue, but it's really important for our headwaters counties who their own regulations or would have protected them from uh, negative impacts, never negative environmental and economic impacts from um, trans mountain diversions, but also other types of like industrial permitting, um, 1041 type of regulations, but also just from um, the huge amount of growth that our mountain towns have seen over the years of being able to ensure that we're protecting water quality, we're protecting um, what goes into the river from that kind of development. Um, so I think that combination is really what we focus on in the legislature. Um, I mentioned already state rulemakings primarily, that's the Water Quality Control Commission. We have also participated in some oil and gas conservation commission rulemakings for that specific issue of any time there's a question of what local governments can regulate for their own environmental protection. Um, the policymaking is kind of a catch-all, but the water plan would be one example of that. The Colorado Water Conservation Board's ongoing um, discussions about what uh, demand management might look like if the state were to prop up a, a plan for delivering water to Lake Powell for like larger Colorado River Basin issues. That's the kind of like policy things where um, county staff, it's really hard to have capacity to pay attention to those kind of regional larger scale issues. And so QQ, the idea of that is you have people doing that kind of work um, on a shared basis. Um, and then the technical legal support is kind of a catch-all for, we can do um, like direct support for local government. So if you were updating your 1041 regulations, we can provide um, some support for that. We've helped local governments looking to do um, uh, water quality um, updates to their land use code. So we can give like some limited amount of um, support to local governments. And then also um, I'll talk a little bit more about us as consultants, but we also can offer um, some like discounted rates too. So like QQ can help up to a point. We've already like been working on the issue and then we can come in and do like even like half and half consulting work where QQ is paying for half of it because it's a regional issue, um, but you're getting like legal expertise or water quality expertise um, at a super discounted rate as well. Um, so that's kind of what that technical and legal support looks like. At some point, if it's enough work for one jurisdiction, we talk about like, what the next steps might be. All right, well, I gave a lot of examples. So I'm realizing I probably went through most of these examples already, um, but I'll highlight at least on the federal level, um, you know, federal issues are kind of, I, I would say that we don't spend a ton of time. We have to pick and choose our issues because that, that would be like a full-time staff person just working on water issues um, federally. But um, the, the, the federal definition of the Clean Water Act is one of those um, issues that's been in a little bit of mayhem, I would say, for almost a decade at this point. Um, and it's really that's important. Mayhem. mayhem. I, yeah, it was like even like when I was thinking about talking to y'all, I was like, which word? <laughs> Chaos, mayhem, all the things. Um, but it's really important because it, um, the federal definition of Clean Water Act, or excuse me, the federal definition of waters of the United States um, 
establishes what waters are subject to um, federal permitting for dredge and fill permits. And so dredge and fill permits are, you know, the kind of one protective layer we've seen for trans mountain diversion oversight, um, but a host of other, especially if you're getting an individual permit, those are big projects that really affect your waterways. So it's very important to the headwaters. Um, and with each administration, each of the last three administrations, there's been a set of regulations. So there's been three sets of regulations, two repeal and replaces, and just like tons of litigation around each one of those things. Um, so that's that's a place where we've been providing, we have like a, a memo that we even update. Just like, here's the, here's the background to remind you what this thing is. And then here's where we are today, tomorrow. Um, here's where we, where we were a year ago. And then we've been providing agency comments, um, and uh, so I think that's an example of where we can dig in federally, but also where we kind of pair educating our members, educating you all, educating staff, um, along with providing comments and speaking at that kind of headwaters voice. That's what we call ourselves a lot as QQ is the headwaters region of the state. We talked about the Water Quality Control Commission. Um, these are the bullet points are, if you don't know the commission, they don't really speak, they don't really say a whole lot, but those are two examples where we ended up spending a whole lot more staff time on proposals that we didn't see coming um, that really would have, um, I think, allowed for degradation of headwaters, waters in particular. So um, the Clean Water Act has an anti-degradation provision, which is what it sounds like. You can't degrade waters beyond with where they're existing use unless some certain things happen. Proposal last year to allow for additional degradation and make that determination a lot easier to allow for additional degradation. Um, we were, well, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife and QQ were the only parties raising a voice and saying that does not work for us without additional information. Um, we were able to get late entry by some environmental groups as well to add to that voice, um, but environmental groups are not funded to look at water quality issues, and so they're not showing up at the, at the Water Quality Commission. So QQ being there was really important to raise the flag there. That, that proposal did not happen. They're going to revisit it again in 10 years. Um, same thing with temperature. That was probably like six years ago now, but that was a statewide proposal to allow for warming of temperature, which, you know, Steamboat Springs, you all like, I know that Route County is working hard to address temperature issues on the Yampa. It's happening all over the place. We already have problems with temperature issues. Um, in the other counties because of reduced flows from trans mountain diversions. And so we were able again to kind of raise the voice and say, there's no reason to do a statewide um, allowance of warmer temperatures in our rivers, do that on a case-by-case -case basis. And that's exactly what the state does now is a case-by-case -case allowance of temperature, um, warmer temperatures. We talked about the water plan. I think the, the, the last two bullets, I'll just talk about really briefly that, um, one, one way that QQ, I think, is driving conversations in the state is on the importance of linking land use planning and water planning, and even acknowledging that those two things are related. Um, during the water plan, our commissioners, Kathy um, Chandler, Henry, Karn, Siegelmeyer, driving across the state, trying to get, the, get that connection in the water plan. Um, and that happened. And since then, we've seen um, a big amount of funding um, all sorts of nonprofits actually have like kind of moved into Colorado to offer trainings to local governments on linking land use and water planning. Um, and QQ has made a commitment, membership kind of made a commitment that they want to move the ball on this and be kind of good examples because a lot of the reason that we're focusing on this is because we want to see the front range use their water in a more responsible way and acknowledge 
you know, future increase in development has impacts to all of our water supplies, not just the front ranges. Um, so that's a big part of why we push for this, but members have really dedicated themselves to trying to do better and do more with like water conservation, water savings. Um, so I think that's been a big focus the last five years. Um, and then the last one for, for more than a decade now, we've had a study out that links water and the economy. It documents all the ways that there's a value for water just being in the stream for the economies of the headwaters region. And that study from 2011 did include Rowell County. And we still use that as the basis for all sorts of education um, on the front range. We presented, I think it was last year or two years to the legislative interim water committee. Um, so we're still, we're still always kind of um, uh, using that study, I guess, to keep educating folks and making that point about the value of water in the stream to our economy. I think we can go to the next slide. Please excuse me, Madam Chair. Yeah. I have a bowl of meeting. Okay. Oh, yes. Sorry, we're going to yeah. <laughs> I'll come back and talk to you all again too. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Um, awesome. All right. Well, this is the last slide anyway. Um, just to let you all know that we have quarterly meetings. Um, and again, consensus-based. Um, and then it's a lot like Northwest Cod. Anyone is open to those meetings. We actually don't have to have a, an official designated you know, person that attends our QQ meetings. So staff comes, elected officials come, anyone that's at our meetings um, has a voice in the meeting. So we don't really even have a board beyond the chair, vice chair that, that we told you, Kathy and, and, um, and Chris, that we can go to for day-to-day -day things. Um, and we always do like at least an hour of kind of an educational presentation at the beginning. Member updates are usually an hour. Um, so it's, a, it's much more like education and policy focused than we don't have like a lot of work we have to do or motions we have to make. <laughs> um, and then we do other, I told you about the memos and then we do um, staff and elected official training kind of as it comes up. So that linking land use and water training, we've been doing a good bit. We've done some um, like uh, mayor manager trainings or attorney trainings um, in the past. And then I mentioned already that we're, that we are, the way that QQ is administered is consultants. So really your member dues for QQ go to um, work like on the ground consultants doing the kind of work that I just talked about. So um, I think that that is it that Did I wanted to mention. Ashley have anything she wanted to add? I, I mean, she might, but I think yeah. she really just wanted to listen in too. Hi, Ashley. Hi. No, thanks for asking. Tori did a wonderful job with the presentation and I don't have anything further to add. Um, I, I don't have a lot of questions. I do know that Jay has some prior experience, I assume, with Carbonell as a member of QQ, right? Yeah, and I, and I imagine great job for us, Scott so. might have some insights too. So if you guys want to share anything, yeah. Either of you. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of getting familiar with these things. Um, I can, you know, through that conversation, the conversations that we've had in the presentation, I see some connections that are possible. So I think that we just continue dialogue. Um, we're going to go talk to Julie Baxter a little afternoon caffeine, which always <laughs> sounds good. And so um, I'll just continue to, you know, kind of learn, get up to speed. Um, think about what those connections might be, keep Jay in the loop, and, and we'll, you know, keep the ball rolling, I guess. So, so I was looking back, I remember Kelly Romero-Haney kind of flagged this for us, and I value her opinion a 
lot, especially when it comes to water. And she mentioned the 208 plan. Can someone mm. talk about that a little bit? I don't know, Scott, or if you guys can give us context on that. We haven't talked about it a lot. Um, it will, it, this will be like a kind of a, a confusing layer for you all. So Northwest, right. so I know, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so the 208 plan refers to section 208 of the Clean Water Act. So it doesn't like tell you anything by itself. Um, but section 208 talks about regional water quality planning. And it's it's actually a, not a very used section of the Clean Water Act, except in the headwaters. It's a little like middle of the land use. Like if you're gonna do different projects or you know, you have to cite back to the plan where it lives, right? So the plan is updated every what 10 years or so or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So Northwest Cog is the regional water quality planning agency um, for region 12. Yes. Since I'm a consultant for the Water Quality Quantity Committee, it doesn't come up much. Um, but yeah, so so Northwest Cog is that agency. So um, th that is almost a separate conversation. In that, by joining Northwest Cog, you all are becoming part of this new. Um, you know, you would separate. be covered under. Yeah. So your membership is actually going to cover you for that. Okay. Um, what that looks like, um, and Ashley does a lot of the administration for that. So the 208 plan is a plan that's updated maybe every 10 years. Um, we're actually undergoing an update right now, and we have some funding to do that. Um, so I would think that like our next step in our scope of work for that would be to look like, like we do get some funding every year. So it'd be like maybe talking to you all about doing that like next year of like, do we add Route County? Is that something you all want? Um, and then from there, um, the you might actually be able to speak to what you review more, but there's some, um, the Water Quality Control Division um, asks us to review um, per discharge permits and um, and then local governments. You 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 recently like spoke to this really well, actually. Well, we can review local government development applications as well. Yeah, so just to add on to what Tori was just explaining is um, a lot of the work that I do is to help the state of Colorado implement Regulation 22, which relates to designing publicly owned wastewater treatment facilities. So if those were, you know, a new facility was being built in Route County and you were a part of the 208 plan, they would provide that application to both the state and me at Northwest COG. And we'd take a look at whether or not it is consistent with the 208 plan whether the you know new facility is necessary and that that type of thing and so we coordinate closely with the state to offer a little more local oversight and then if your you know county regulations cite the 208 plan then it can be used to review other development applications like Tori was saying and that's where northwest cog has been really sophisticated and I think very clever in that a lot of local governments, a lot of counties like in 1041 regulations will say must be consistent with the regional water quality plan. That's one of the standards. And then that triggers our review and it gives a lot more kind of like leeway and voice to regional water quality impacts and some of those bigger developments. So you could, I think some, I wish I could say who, but I do think some of our local governments have it in like their major subdivision or, you know, like some of those other um, standards as well. Um, and so then you would have like this expertise you can rely on. Um, in the past, local governments have also kind of doubled up. That's one of those examples of doubling up, doubling up where we're doing that regional water quality analysis. And then we also provide um, 
water quality analysis like for the county is separate contract, but it's like a very efficient, like we're already doing that work. So it's like a little bit of extra contract to help the county separately. I'm not really explain that. Did you have something like that after that, you were talking about? I was just saying in general that I had a very positive experience with that at Carbondale when we were working on water quality issues and, um, and legislative issues and keeping us up to date in a much different fashion than we would have seen from like Colorado River District, way more targeted to the, the direct issues we were dealing with. And I suspect that maybe you were working with Kelly because they were having issues with their wastewater treatment plant and you know, trying to figure out how to make that work without having to do costly cooling towers. And so I, I think that that's kind of where the link was made. And then Kelly moved on. We've been talking mm -hmm. about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so just a question for Scott, though, first. So do we, are we doing anything with regards to regional water quality? Like, is the county at this point or no? Well, we're collecting data. Okay. And we are also, um, and that's with USGS. And then we're also working with, um, uh, you know, with the Ample River Fund and the uh, Integrated Watershed Management Plan and some of that resiliency work. So we're connected with that stuff. Um, nothing specific, other than you know that direct collection of water quality data. Okay. So at a at a elected level, I think QQ is really good for for. I mean, I, I was involved with the River District for a long time, and I've been involved deeply in water, not as much as Tori, and I started after a decade to feel like I'm like at a ninth grade level with water, you know, maybe, you know, it's really niche. To, but it's a good way to, to up your sort of understanding and, and relate it to what's going on in different places. But at a staff level, some of these things just like a, a comment come around infrequently that you have to deal with and, and don't necessarily have you know, a broad bench of, of experts within, you know, um, environmental health and whatnot. QQ really is like a, a staff extender in a way with a lot of that expertise that, that can be very valuable at yeah. key points in time. I was thinking of something recently where Eric felt that he was joking about having to learn about water rights. Do you remember this our time? We had some issues with water rights over at the uh, Justice Center. Mm -hmm. There's a weapon. Yeah. Makes their lives better. And then, you know, we're. Well, and the water right that uh, we're applying for for, the, for Pittsburgh. Maybe yeah, we're having to do an augmentation plan for yeah. Pittsburgh. Okay. And that's been. It's not that legal fees can't cure. Right. So there, there may be other things, but that's why you know, we're having the conversation. And but, what, sorry, go ahead. No, things like the augmentation plan. Yep. You know, we are looking at replacing our wastewater treatment uh, facilities in Milner and Peaberg. So we don't have districts, but we have two that the county. Right. There's systems, not yeah. special districts, yeah. that we manage and administer. So we have an internal expertise a lot of counties don't have. We love that. I don't think he's an expert. It's also that's why I find it interesting because yeah. it's, it's a you know there's a broad umbrella right and so it does help to have some pointed expertise and places well, some really interesting nuance around the availability of well permits up in Larson Creek and adjacent drainages and with the distance with the vaults where the water's coming into and then going out to and understanding 
one uh, pieces of land may or may not even be developable now. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, now that we're over appropriated basin. Yeah. 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 You would be our only one in which we live. Um, declared one. Yeah. Declared one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, Bigger picture on wells, we did some other counties asked for additional kind of support from us on how to review development applications um, for, for water adequacy, in particular when it, when it's like wells. Um, and so we, I'm like, I'm stumbling on it because it's not my expertise, but we did a consulting project and have now guidance for counties on how, if you if you want to, how you could beef up your codes to look closer, if, if that's an issue for, for you all. So we but just kind of defer to the division. They can issue a law permit or not. We really, it's up to them. Right, right. Yeah, and I don't actually think any of our local governments have, I don't think any other county has adopted what we recommended yet, but there, there's been discussions about whether they want to do more than that, whether they, whether they want to know for themselves a little bit more information than the. So just for your information, we're pretty unique in that, and to the extent that we virtually don't approve subdivisions. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean I it does have to a very limited yeah. degree. Yeah. Yeah. Practically speaking, it, it's, you want to, Something mm. like, go ahead and do your 35 acre subdivision. How about it? Not a subdivision. Yeah. Right. Your 35 acre. <laughs> your 35 acre not subdivision. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we've been working with one county that um, is going to have an environmental review if there is a subdivision of more than three 35 acre lots, there will be an environmental review. Interesting. So I we all have to right? That has to be fiction, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> so one crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not that. Yeah, exactly. Not that that makes sense for you, but there, there oh, are environmental. No, there is more review that you can do. Yeah. On you know, we might be interested. <laughs> well, this might be worth discussion. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good example of something where, like, your planning department, with all due respect, might go, "Wow, yeah. we didn't know where to begin with that." Tori and Barbara, who are attorneys, water attorneys, and deal with this, would go, "Oh, well, here's where you can start with that. Here's some places mm -hmm. to look." It would be very helpful and then would review if you wanted and help even help draft. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the kind of technical expertise that you look at, like we don't have anybody, we only have mm -hmm. one person, they have so much capacity with regard to these mm -hmm. really niched water issues. Yeah. Sure. And a third party, you know, like here's what we yeah. we know from our regional perspective to do with it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. well, I think we should probably wrap up. I do what um what is the due structure for QQ? Yeah, I, I, I was like, well, I don't need to start with that because we can, we can get there. And it isn't that easy. So um, we are definitely open to negotiation. We would love to just have you all as members. So Yeah, but you're um, a water attorney, so we don't want to negotiate with you. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a water rights attorney, too. I'm like, God, I, I do a lot more like local, local government than water rights. I don't do water rights. Um, okay, so Eagle, Grand, Summit, Pitkin are over 22,000 for their membership. Um, Gunnison County, who you know doesn't have the same services as the Colorado River Basin, is at 6,000. And somewhere in between, I think, would be the conversation. So um, it's there, a pretty wide there, range. Uh, We'd love to have you. Are there any entities in Brown County? Steamboat and Yampa are both members. And Yampa, the town of Yampa. That's where yeah. he lives. Yeah, I think part of the reason for some of those differentiations with water specifically is remember 
QQ originated to fight trans mountain diversions, and those directly affect some very specific county Grand, Summit, Eagle, Pitkin. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, it gets fuzzy because there's different basins. So when you talk about fee structure, to some degree, it's, you know, there's those, the monies that are set aside and the potential to, you know, stand up and bring our attorneys to bear on, on what needs to, but the rest of it is is mm -hmm. a little different kind of service. So Steve yeah. and Napa are dues paying members for QQ? They are, okay. yes. Yeah, Steamboat is at 2700 something. I bet Yampa's not that high. No, I actually didn't write theirs down, but yes. So for what you're saving not paying for the services with Vintage, I just wanted to add that agency on aging, we won't be billing you directly that I know of for our services, some of which you, I think you were paying for directly because they had a I think we paid like $15 million or something. It wasn't very much, but yes. I like the way you feel $16. But we do have a few things that are fee for service a la carte, but that's not one of them, right? So aging services are part of what you get with dues and the rest through the funds you get. Broadband, you guys are served by Project Thor here with through NCB, you know, the, the entities that pay into, it's like a co-op, right? Pay into Project Thor to get middle mile, um, 100 up, 100 down, which is awesome. And you guys- it's, been it's still where are you still? Yeah, it's still there. So, but in, in general, we don't have all the cards added things unless you're like, hey, could you do this? Or like, well, I guess if you want to, you can pay for it. But, yeah, I'd be really curious to see yeah. if Scott's research comes up. Yeah, because we are we are pretty unique in a lot of ways. You know, we don't have transmount diversions. Right. We don't have a lot of subdivisions. Right. Some of the our new main ideas are great. Right. And at the same time, we've talked about, especially since Doug is no longer a commissioner, that we're like yeah. somebody needs to understand water. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I can see the value yeah. just in that piece yeah. alone. Yeah. So we've talked about how to achieve that. For sure. And you didn't ask, but I'll pop in that the COG dues that you're you're paying really pay for our admin, if you will. It pays for me and an office manager, a two-person fiscal department. And we have to do local matches for a number of our different grants. So that's how we're able to say, oh yeah, and that comes from our our member dues that a little bit of goes towards um, vintage. And using some of those dues for the matches. Yeah, for our Dola, any of the Dola things that we do are 50% local match, and we don't have some hidden pot of money for that. That comes through dues. So the reports, the next reports that you guys uh, will see will be funded partially by Routes Dues. So, yeah. Great. Thank yeah. you for coming yeah. up. And thank Thanks you guys. for all your this background information. It's helpful. Yeah, I just excited. wanted to thank John Westcott on the whole transition over from. Um, BGNC that just walked the line really well to provide support, but not rile things. So it was really a good effort in transition. Could have been rougher than it was. It's been a painful process, but well, it's been worth absorbing the pain. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I would say, you know, I think one of the primary concerns that we had was the lobbying efforts that were taking place at AGNC that we didn't feel were supportive of the needs for our county. And so I, I'm sure I speak for us in saying that we appreciate that in the area where you do lobby around water, that that's a separate right. you know, dues structure, which I think meets the needs of what we've been looking for. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate your yeah, time. Thanks very much. Yeah. All right. Good to see you, John. That's it.